0: Prime Time with Sean Mooney is brought to you by Blue Chew. Guys, coming up, I'm going to let you in on the way to increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. That's BlueChew.com. Man up.
1: However, standing by right now is the one and the only Sean Mooney. Who? Mooney, everybody's got a price. For
2: the million-dollar man. After he threw him off through the announce table, Taker climbs back down, he gets in the ring, and he goes, see if he's breathing.
3: So right before I called 911, I thought she would fallen asleep. So I nudged her, she didn't respond. I was sitting out in my front yard and they told me that
4: uh, she didn't make it. If they would do a movie about your life, who would you want to play your part? (laughs) Well, George Clooney, of course. (laughs) Who else could it be?
0: You
5: know, I think it would take probably $100,000 at least to bring us in
6: for the Hall of Fame.
0: Are you laughing, Sean? I get off the track here all the time. Did you
6: just
7: laugh, Sean? You can't can't even show them on TV because they're so busy humping each other that you (laughs) can't even show them on TV. Attention, Sean Mooney, you scum, you slime, you maggot. If there's no further questions, you're dismissed. Carry on, maggot.
0: Hello, everybody, and Happy New Year. I hope you had a safe and fun one uh, as we continue on here in the brand new year. It's awesome. It was a a great 2018, though, and we are going to celebrate that with the best of 2018, the edition of Primetime with Sean Mooney that uh, is a collection of some of what we believe were the best of the best. The conversations that we had during the year, and there were a lot of them. I mean, there's 52 weeks in a year, folks. There were 52 uh, different episodes that uh, I hope you all enjoyed very much, and we uh, went through it, and um, you know, pulled out some of the clips that we thought that really stood out in, in these conversations. But I have to tell you, it was really, really hard to decide uh, which one were first of all the great guests, and then to pull out those clips that we thought because you know many of these were. You know, longer than 90 minutes in many cases, and it was uh, really hard to decide. But I think we did a really good job. And um, we're going to get to those great clips in just a moment. But I have a very exciting announcement to make uh, first before we do that. And if you tuned into our Facebook Live on the first day of 2019, Tuesday night, you already know what I'm talking about. If not, no worries, because right now, you, and I'm talking right there, right there to you, yes you have the opportunity to be a part of our Patreon membership. It is brand new, our Patreon membership. You know, we talked about this uh, many times during the year. But uh, like I said, I wanted it to be right. And it was a long time in the making. And uh, I believe it is right. I mean, we had a lot of discussions on this. And I think uh, uh, we've got it right. And it is up and running right now. And all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash primetime mooney. That's patreon.com slash primetime mooney to sign up and uh, we've kept it simple uh, we think uh, that that's the best way to do it uh, there are only two levels uh, a lot of these you go to and they have you know six levels overnight. on I didn't want to do that I'm, I figured you know uh, we'll have two levels and uh, they are real simply the prime timers and the moonies now if you are a prime timer if you sign up as a prime timer I'll um, me just go over some of the things that are going to be included in that membership Uh, will include a uh, personal phone call from me. I'd love to chat with you. We're going to really enjoy uh, having that conversation because I get as much out of it. I'm telling you, I I just love hearing from everybody who listens to this podcast, and they give us some great ideas. So uh, if you become a prime timer, I'm going to call you. You also are going to get an autographed uh, vintage uh, photo of me, an 8x10 photo. If you already have one, that's okay because we have other photos that uh, I can send to you um so if you'd uh, rather have one of those we can do that uh social media shout out you will uh, have uh, your name uh, out there on our social media outlets and we have many of them of course we're you going know instagram we've got uh uh twitter and then of course uh our facebook account our facebook page uh when it when your birthday comes up we're going to have a shout out on the podcast i'm going to wish you a happy birthday uh on our uh, to our patreon uh members our prime timers also you're going to get uh, Primetime with Sean Mooney, all the episodes early, and not only will you get them before anyone else, they're also going to be completely ad-free. You know, we depend on advertisers, but, uh, you know, you guys are special. If you're a part of our Patreon membership, you're going to get those episodes er- episodes early and also ad-free. Uh, we're going to have live Q&A sessions uh, where you get to come on if any of you have experienced our, our uh, Crowdcast um, a broadcast. You know how this works, but we're going to have private ones just for you guys where you can come on and it's just going to be a live Q&A session. And of course, we'll have bonus shows. And uh, we've had a few of those already. We have some in the can that uh, will be coming out very soon if you become a member. And uh, that's what you get if you are a prime timer. Now, if you step it up, if you go to the next level and you become a Mooney Uh, The Moonies are going to get also a phone call from me. I will uh, have a personal phone call. You're going to get that autographed 8x10 photo. You're going to get the uh, social media shout-out. Also, you're going to get the birthday shout-out. You're going to, as I just mentioned, get all the Primetime Sean Mooney episodes early and ad-free. You're also going to get the live Q&A sessions. You're going to be included in those. And, of course, you're going to get the bonus shows. But then it gets really good for you Moonies out there. Uh, if you stay with us for uh, a year's membership, 12 months, uh, you're going to get a Primetime with Sean Mooney t-shirt, your choice. We have a great collection. You're going to get uh, a t-shirt right sent to you in your size, absolutely free for sticking with us for the year. And uh, we really want, to you, want you to know how much we appreciate that. Uh, we're going to have a monthly live watch-alongs, which uh, we've had a lot of fun doing. Um, you know, and and people can still join us for those, but they're going to have to pay for them. You get them absolutely free, and you're also going to be able to view our live watch-along events when we have a special guest. Now, I've told you about these, the ones I want to do, where we bring on a superstar. Uh, We we get a match, you know, that was uh, very famous that they were involved in that's very well remembered. We have them uh, with us for the live watch-along. They're going to uh, absolutely, walk us through it literally as uh, the steps they took into the ring and how what went on inside the ring, what went on backstage. Well, you're going to get uh, those live watch along events absolutely free, and you're going to get uh, a reserve spot to join me and a special guest on screen uh, during uh, live watch alongs. And we have those uh, the special guests on for those uh, watch-alongs, you're going to be able to come on the screen with us, and you can ask that superstar and interact with him and interact with me uh, during those. So you're going to, as a Mooney, going to get all that and uh, a lot of other bonus content. So um, I'm hoping that you're going to go along with us on this adventure. I'm really, really, really excited about it. Uh, once again, all you need to do is go to patreon.com slash mooney and sign up, patreon.com slash mooney. And, folks, this is really going to be a great podcast because not only are we going to have all these great clips uh, from some of the best of the best from 2018, when uh, we get done with those, we are going to have a QA and a session. Uh, our producer, Casey Jerome Beck, will come on. Uh, once again, we've done this before. Uh, we put a shout-out to uh, folks, a little shout-out there to uh, send us some questions, and we got a lot of them. And, uh, I'm going to answer, uh, some of them. And then of course, uh, if you want to, um, you know, hear the rest of them, you're going to have to become a Patreon member because, uh, we're going to have some really good questions from what I hear. Those are the, the, the juicy ones we're going to have on Patreon. So, uh, stick around. That is coming up. Okay. Now, as far as the order, we didn't really debate that much, uh, but I thought we should start, uh. With one of my favorites, uh, you know, we're gonna—it's gonna be a great collection. I just thought, you know, let's just go along, uh, go along here, and just, you know, see how they come up. But I really wanted to start with one of my favorites, and one that took us a while to make happen. Uh, I'm talking about my conversation with Sergeant Slaughter. Uh, it's a personal favorite because, you know, I got a chance to work with Sarge a lot uh, back during my time with the uh, WWF. And, uh, you know, uh, if you've listened to the show, you also know that he was very good friends with Lord Alfred Hayes, who was very close to me. So it was great to hear tales of his time with his lordship and, you know, so many great clips to get to. So uh, let's get right to this one. Our great conversation with Sergeant Slaughter. Ding, ding, ding. That's when I got the call from Vince. I
7: was watching a NASCAR race one Sunday afternoon, and phone rings. Hello, Sarge. Yes, Vince. Oh, hey, Vince. It's only one Sarge, one Vince, you know. Yeah. So he <laughs> said, uh, "Here, are your contracts up with uh, Hasbro." I said, "Well, funny, you should know that." You know. Yeah. He goes, "Well, are you ready to go back to work?" I said, "Yeah, I'm ready." He said, "Well, come to my house uh, tomorrow, and we'll we'll talk about it. I got an idea for you." okay so my wife and i and and the the girls we have dinner that night i guess guess where i'm going tomorrow where to vince mcmahon's house oh what what's going on i said well i think vince come to (laughs) his senses he's going to take sergeant slaughter the real american hero g.i joe and he's going to make sergeant slaughter the real 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 american hero g.i joe and i kept thinking now how is he gonna do this? You know, how's he gonna do this? Because uh, Hulk Hogan and Ultimate Warrior were pretty pretty well established, and, and so I go to his, his home, and uh, we have this meeting, and uh, he says, uh, "Here's my here's my plan. WrestleMania six had just ended like two weeks before that, and he said, I want to go to WrestleMania seven with you and, and Hulk Hogan." And I said, really, you're going to make Hulk a, a heel? And he goes, no, I'll make you a heel. <laughs> I said, you're going to make Sergeant Slaughter, G.I. Joe a heel? Come on. And he goes, no, here's here's my plan. So he, he shows me a, uh, a drawing of the L.A. Coliseum. 104,000 seat capacity. Screens everywhere. Big screens on four sides of the... Uh, Coliseum and he shows me the you know, the, the diagram and all that. He said, I want to put 104,000 people in there and I know you and Hogan can do it. And I said, well, how are you going to do it? He said, well, here's the situation. You know what's going on over in Kuwait? And I said, yeah. He said, well, what I want to do is bring you back as a sympathizer for Saddam Hussein and, and Iraq. That you can't understand how the military of the United States of America could be so weak and allow Saddam Hussein to overtake Kuwait and and not do anything about it and that they're, you know, he goes through the whole thing. I, yeah. I don't want to go through it all. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just kind of like floored. I'm kind of like listening to him and, and you know how Vince gets into the, the character. And uh, I'm shaking my head and he goes, what do you think? I said, I love it. He said, well, I want you to go home and talk to your your family, talk to your wife and your your children because it could be, you know, some ramifications, you know. And uh I said, Well, okay, well, but as soon as I got in my car I knew I was like screaming and hollering and singing and, and I was so happy that not only was I back with the WWE but I was gonna be a, a heel again. Yeah. And, a- and uh so then we we started doing the vignettes out of different, uh, bases and things. And, and you were, start, you, you were in, into that, that part of it where, where I, uh, you know, just, uh, I started out, uh, by myself, you yeah. know, and down America and, and, uh, how weak they are, and how they could let, uh, Saddam Hussein overtake Kuwait without any, you know, problem and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So then, uh, we got to uh, to where Vince thought that maybe we should have somebody else, you know, join me. So I said, well, how about a uh, a, a manager? And he goes, well, who do you think? And I said, well, there's a guy in Minnesota by the name of uh, Adnan Al Casey. Mm-hmm. But he goes with a sheik. And I said, he's from Iraq. Yeah. And I said, if I'm mistake," and he went to college with Saddam Hussein. He speaks to <laughs> Wow. What what better guy? I'll bring him in as my general. Yeah. He says, Okay. So he makes the calls or whoever he has make the calls. We're in uh, Hershey, Pennsylvania, and uh here comes uh Ednon Al Casey. Hmm. You know, general Ednon. at all. So he said, Well go put your outfit on and, and come back to in my office and show Sergeant I So here comes uh had not walked into Vince's room, and I thought Saddam Hussein had walked in the <laughs> door. He looked exactly like Saddam Hussein,
8: uh.
7: and he had a, a plastic gun and holster on his side. <laughs> and I said, that's unbelievable, but get rid of that damn gun. Don't <laughs> give anybody any ideas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Vince says, oh, yeah, yeah, get rid uh. of that. Uh. He said, uh, so uh, he started, he said, give me a, a promo like you would do if, you know, you were Started just guy, so he started doing this Arabic promo, and, and I just like my my. Uh, I was grinning from ear to ear, mm. and I said, "This is it! This is it!" So our first night in Hershey, Pennsylvania, we had we had a riot going, yeah. and, and it was just uh, incredible how well we we worked together. And he would just talk in Arabic, and, and Gene or, or you or uh, uh, Brother Love would uh, say. What did what did uh, he just say? And I said, "This is what the general just said." You know, <laughs> I would start my promo. Yeah. Whether what he said Whatever it was. What said. So, uh, it's, we got so much heat. Yeah. Oh. One night, I believe it was Philadelphia. Uh, Gene Orkaba refused to promo us. He said, "I'm I'm not going out there. Somebody's going to get shot. Somebody's going to get killed." Yeah. And so, uh, Bruce Pritchard said, "I'll do it. I'll do it as brother love." So he goes out there and I, I think it was one of my first or second promos with uh Adnan and uh I mean we just had him <laughs> going crazy in Philadelphia and uh from that point on it was uh, bar, uh Katie bar the doors
0: I absolutely love Sergeant Slaughter and I've uh, kept in touch with him since uh, we talked and uh We've got some special things coming up with the Sarge, so stay tuned on that. Uh, Sarge Slaughter was inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame in 2004, and he is really uh, one of the true originals and blazed an incredible trail in the world of professional wrestling uh, for so many reasons. He, you know, he was one of the first who ever you know trademarked his name. Uh, you know, uh, went to war with the WWF to get a percentage of his merchandise. Um, You know, uh, truly one of the greatest baby faces and also one of the greatest heels ever. Like I said, a true original. And uh, (laughs) as we move on here, talking about originals, our next guest is someone who never worked harder than to make it in the business. You know, no one would give this guy a chance. If you listen to the episode, you remember Uh, he worked his way up and he made it to the WWE, um, became a three-time tag team champion. Um, during his journey as a singles competitor as uh, Jean-Pierre Lafitte. uh, I think I've given away now, but uh, perhaps not. uh, got into a feud with The Click. You know what I'm talking about? And he certainly paid the price for it. Let's get to this conversation or a piece of that conversation with PCO. What got you into trouble with The Click? Because not only did that affect your career with the WWF, WWE, but it also came back to haunt you later. So, uh, yeah. What happened?
7: Well, uh, basically, it's uh, it's uh, because uh, I was, I was getting ready to start the Lafitte deal because uh, Vince told me, you know, stay home for a couple of months, grow your hair, you know, grow your beard. Um, you know, uh, we want people to forget about the. Pierre, a little bit, and you know, we want you to start a, a fresh new deal at Jean Pierre Lafitte. So we say, uh-huh. we'll pay you, but just have some time off and uh, just be ready anytime. We'll start you soon, you know. So it started me on March 3rd, ninety five. but uh, the thing is that um, in uh, November or December 94, uh, because we did the the last match uh, October was uh, October 21st me and Jock 94 me and Jock, so yeah. uh, October November December January February almost five months off, so anyways the uh, WWEF they were coming back to <laughs> Montreal for a house show and right. uh, IRS was uh, sick or couldn't make it I don't know what happened Vince himself calls calls me home you know he called. Says, hey Carl, how oh, are you? It's Vince. It says hi, Vince. Or oh, he was. Oh, I was wondering why Vince would call me. You know, the phone sounded funny. So he goes, uh, RRS is injured. Uh, think you could take his spot? It's in Montreal. I go, yeah, sure, I'll do that. Okay, no problem. So, um, so I show up and uh, get to with Sean and everything. So. They decide to put Sean over, which makes totally sense because he's right in the roster and yeah. he just the raw uh, rumble and everything, yeah, but uh I got a call uh from from Jacques, or I called Jacques ask him for you know what I should do because uh you know I'm starting soon, but they haven't started me yet, and now they want me to lose to Sean uh which at the time i thought it was a big deal but now i know today that two weeks after people don't even remember what happened yeah
0: so, anyways uh, yeah it got uh,
7: it
0: sounds like uh looking back yeah uh, <laughs>
7: Yeah, if you can have a good match with someone, I think people re- remember the performance more than who won or who lost, or so whatever. Anyways, that was not in well, the even at that story. time, Carl, the
0: you know, and and if it would have been just Shawn Michaels, you know, it probably wouldn't have wouldn't have affected your career as much. But at the time and if and if people recall and and we mentioned the click, uh there was a there was a group who uh, at that time were had had very much say behind the curtain, uh, because of who they were and and uh, you know their position in the company as far as on the roster, with uh, you know Kevin Nash and then of course uh, you know Scott Hall, uh, Razor Ramon, people knew him then and then um, Triple H uh, became part of that yeah. and then One Two Three Kid, and they I mean they really did have a lot of control backstage yeah. right. Yeah, actually, the first time
7: that uh, that time with Sean, uh, it went pretty. It didn't hurt myself because well, I you just did the,
0: you get the job, I, right?
7: Uh, yeah, I told yeah. Sean I was I did not want to do the job, and then he got pissed off. He said, "I just beat thirty people in a row, rumble, blah blah blah," you know, and start yelling at me and everything, and I said, "Okay, listen, Sean, I'm going to do it. Okay, I'm going to do it. So the forget everything I said." Sorry about that. I'm going to do it. So so we went out there. We had a great match. You know, I put him over. He he was even cool. He beat me with the feet and the ropes and things like that. I didn't even ask for that. You know, he that was that was all of him. You know, I just said, you know, I'm going to set you up on the cement floor. I'll go for my cannonball from the top rope to the cement floor. You move out. You shoot me in the ring. You pin me one, two, three. No problem. And then, then he said, okay, I'll pin you with my feet on the rope. So everything was cool. So I thought everything was cool. So the next year, '95, I've been even. It was so cool that they they had me undefeated for eight months. You know, yeah. they had me going through everybody for eight months. And then I meet uh, Kevin Nash at the TV tapings, and he goes, uh, "Yeah," and uh, uh, I think it was in uh, November or something. He says in November. Being you at the forum, it's going would be big boo jack knife one, two, three, and I was insulted because yeah. first of all we always we always knew the finish uh, at the building never nobody knew the finish a month and a half ahead we yeah. had TV taping ahead right. of a time and and it was just a a way to me the way I took it it was just kevin's uh wanted to rub it into me like you know just to get me
0: uh well who's running things
7: yeah and and then making me mad kind of you know just telling me i know you're gonna be jobbing for me uh Uh, i I would have rather you know that everything would have worked normally and i show up to the building and they tell me what they want and i do what they want but just the fact that he was giving it to me like that, you know, ahead of time and just laughing about it and laughing about me. uh, uh it got me worked out. It yeah. worked. You know, what What they want really worked. And I got so worked out that uh, just the fact that I couldn't see his face when he told me that. And I was, uh, I show up and I see Tony Guerrilla, the night of the show, and he goes, Okay, we want a good. 12, 13, 14-minute match. Big boot jackknife. We'll put Big Kev over. And I go, that's exactly the same words I heard a month ago, you know. Oh, I go, no way. I don't do it.
0: Yeah. So. Ah, youth.
7: <laughs> so it went crazy there. Like, yeah. everybody wanted to beat me up. and Yeah. Everybody so it was just a beat.
0: culmination of things, and you maybe yeah. not – uh I don't know, being as mature as you might have uh, been in the business uh, as you look yeah. back.
7: Because yeah, I just went like, if I if I have to put you over, uh, you're going to wrestle like uh, someone else because I'm going home <laughs> with my bag. I'm quitting. Mm-hmm. And Vincent wanted me to quit. So Vince really liked me. I guess I hurt his feelings a lot. By, I mean, by, I guess, you know, my because I was so close to him at that point that by doing that, I feel like uh, it was not, I didn't do it. it's not a, it was not towards Vince
0: Yeah, you didn't feel like you were disrespecting him as much as you felt they were, these guys were disrespecting you
7: Yeah, 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 I felt like these guys were controlling the company now maybe not on that move, but on many moves you know, because I felt like Kevin had the heavyweight strap, then Sean had the intercontinental strap, then they both had the tag team strap, and they were switching the titles between the click. And the intercontinental, the world, you know, that Razor was the intercontinental, if Razor wasn't the intercontinental, Sean was the intercontinental, and then Kevin was the world, and Sean was the world. And uh, I just felt like uh, there were five guys who were controlling uh Basically, Vince kind of, sort of. And,
0: um, well, and they uh, also, though, but also to their credit, I mean, they were, uh, the top draws in that, in the WWE. Yeah, Sean for sure. uh, Yeah, yeah. no question. But as at the same time, what you're saying is, you know, they, they had the power (laughs) and they used it. Yeah. (laughs)
7: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but, uh, after that, uh, I didn't do the job in Montreal. The next morning, they called me. I was when I was going to sleep home because we were in Montreal. They called me home. Uh, they said, uh, you know, everything's okay. Uh, they fined me. Actually, I didn't get paid for Montreal. I had a big fine, mm-hmm. so uh, my payoff was zero. Uh, so I went to uh, Quebec City the next day. Uh, he said, apologize to Kevin Just say, you know, it was just a mistake and everything and just have a good match. So I did all that and they probably spoke to him because he was polite too. So everything was going well mm. until I had a leg drop from the top rope and I potato him on the face with my heel. So he thought I did it on purpose. So he had a, kind of a... Big uh, fight in the ring.
0: I was gonna say it got a little stiff in the ring.
7: Yeah, I got all stiff towards <laughs> the end, and uh, yeah, whoa. And then I, then I took the finish because uh, if I was not gonna scrap another finish, then I thought that I was gonna be done for real, you know. So yeah. I took the the power bomb and um, the jackknife. So I took it and. Uh, then we went into a, a fight in the back, but everybody separated us, so we didn't really have a fight. It was more like a pull-apart. Yeah. And um, what really uh, made the clique really angry was the fact that after that night, we went on a European tour, and I was uh, against Aldo Montoya, just incredible, uh, BJ Polaco. Mm-hmm. I was working him every night, and I was going over every night. And um, when we came back in America, it was um, it was a house show in uh, Oklahoma City, I think. Mm-hmm. And I saw Vince. So they all called him. It was a big meeting, a big threat meeting. Like we're all gonna leave if something doesn't change. And I was surprised to see Vince on a house show with 2,000 people in the house show,
8: because mm-hmm. he
7: never goes to house shows. And uh, so they, they wanted to get rid of a, a bunch of guys, like um, I think the garbage man. Um, my name, well, they came up. I read Sean's book. That's how I knew that, because he says all the name in the book. And my name came up and uh, that I read in Sean's book. And uh, so... Um, Sean says, don't worry about Carl I'm going to handle Carl Wallet myself. So uh, basically, he was protecting myself from uh, from Sean's book. That's what he said. So, uh, But after that meeting, uh, he was protecting myself, but I was doing jobs every night. A little bit like... Uh, Triple H after the curtain call, you know. Uh, he was not supposed yeah,
0: to... Yeah, that was a long time that he was in the...
7: Yeah, yeah, but he did a year straight yeah. almost, right. the job. He did twelve seconds job for uh, Ultimate Warrior at WrestleMania, too, yeah. on Warrior's Return. But he stayed there, and he did his time, and then eventually he regained confidence, you know. Uh, the company regained confidence in him, in him, and felt like he had paid the price for what he had done. But, uh... It was the same thing for myself. I was doing jobs for everybody every night after that, and it was just getting tough on me. So uh, eventually I I got a little injury, and I told them that uh, I was injured and I couldn't wrestle. So uh, I didn't need to get that surgery, but I went on and got the surgery. And after the surgery... Uh, Call me up if I wanted to come back, and I said, oh, I'm, I'm going to let roll my contract and uh, just do something else after go somewhere else." Mm-hmm. So I basically quit. Basically quit there. And, uh,
0: well, did you just feel that you you, you when you went back there, you're, it was just going to be stacked against you uh, that you weren't going to get you know pushed, or were you just tired of the company? What where were you at that point? No, but I
7: felt as long as the the click was gonna be there, it was not gonna be any room for me or any sort of sort of push for myself uh, no. because of what happened. So, um, but I didn't think at that time, and it was tough for me because I was on every pay per view, I was on every event, I was uh, mm. I was always booked, you know, and always making money. And after yeah. uh, the big meeting where I was, you know, kind of jobbing after that. They pulled me out of every pay-per-view, so it was hard to watch pay-per-views from the stands or from the locker room. Um, it was getting really tough, so that's why I decided to quit because I didn't see, I couldn't see the, the light at the end of the tunnel after that because the, the, the click was pretty strong still, but I didn't know in the meantime that it was still strong uh, they were complaining about their money or about other things. And they were about to switch to WCW. If right. I would have, timing. I would have
0: again. There,
7: eventually. Yeah. Eventually timing. I went to WCW and then the NWO thing just started, you know, oh, so boy. it was boom, you know, wrong, <laughs> wrong timing again. Yeah. So uh, I made my switch, but by the time, uh, I let you know some time go off my contract. Before maybe I had eight months left on my contract before I could Mm -hmm. start back. NWO was starting boom, and I felt gee, I should have stayed there. You know now Razor's gone and Kevin's gone. It's always Sean, Sean and Paul. So it, it would have been different.
8: Yeah,
7: but. No, it was like that, so uh, it was just, uh, and then from there it's, it's been tough, you know, two times WCW where uh, both times, you know, I felt, I felt like I got cut off by Kevin, especially the second time when we did Team Canada with Lance Storm, me and Jock, and uh, the, the thing was having big heat and everything, and uh, we just, we did a bunch of things, and then... As soon as Kevin saw me, uh, they pulled that belt out of me uh, the next day. and uh, Because Vince Russo liked me. So Have you guys ever, ever fixed that?
0: Or is it still?
7: Yeah, 2009, he came to Montreal, put me over, Kevin Nash, for an yeah. indie, uh, for IWS. And then uh, he was really, really, uh, you know, he was really into it, like uh, really friendly... Uh, Went out a little bit and you know, had a couple of beers and uh, spoke a lot. Yeah. And uh, he said, I was never the greatest wrestler, but I was a great politician. That's what yeah. I learned. That's another great lesson I learned by talking to him. He, he taught me a lot of things, though. And, and one night, you know, and just talking with him and everything taught me a lot. And uh, we, we did exchange a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, and it felt good. Felt good to uh, kind of bury the hatchet there. Yeah,
0: yeah.
7: And uh, same thing with Sean in Yeah, I was gonna say, how about with Sean? Same thing. No, I was supposed to uh, to give my scenario to John Arniest, but uh, something happened in the U.S., so he couldn't make it uh, to Birmingham, England. So I said I uh, went up to Sean. I said, Sean, I was supposed to give this to John, but John's not there. Can I trust you and give you that? And can you give it to the creative? He said, I'll make sure it goes to the right place. And Mm. he did because they really called me for that scenario. Yeah. Which I told you what happened after that in 2008, the Moulin Sun Arena or
8: 2009.
7: Right. But Sean uh, respected his words and uh, it was always nice to me. At one time, at another show in England, uh, so Sean talked to him and everything and uh, asked him for uh, if I could uh, work at night I said can you talk to Vince Maybe we could have a match tonight I'm here in England and Blah blah blah. so uh, Vince saw me he said hey do you want to work tonight I'm to put you with Tommy Dreamer I said, oh huh. cool I told Sean hey Sean I got a match he said of course I just told him <laughs> so I felt so I felt I really felt with Sean like I've got nothing, you know. Like everything's sorted out. Like uh, yeah. there's no heat. There's nothing. There's no heat with with uh, Kevin anymore. Even now, like uh, uh, for a while, he was doing some shoot interviews and he was really going at it with me. And now he kind of changes uh, his version a little bit. it's a smooth version. Yeah. And, uh
0: Well, it's funny how time changes things. And and uh, you knew Sean early in those, you know, early '90s, and and. Uh, and I, 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 I'm sure he'll cr- uh, credit it with the, his faith now. But he absolutely became uh, a different person when he came back. And uh, you know, and you know, time changes a lot, especially when you get older and you realize that things that affected you so much, you know, back at that time, are not weren't really weren't that big of deal. But at the time, it certainly no. seemed that, right?
7: Yeah, it does that for people. For some people, do change, but I feel like some people
0: don't. Man, that guy is just incredible, always a survivor to this day, and now uh, many know him uh, once again as a PCO, Uh, he he is just, just a freak of nature, I don't know if you've seen these videos he's doing, but the guy is 50 years old now, and is as big as ever in the indie circuit, making a big impact on independent wrestling, and definitely a guy to watch, but doing what he's doing at 50, and the impact he's having is really, really incredible. Another guest we had on in 2018 was Wendy Richter, uh, another wrestler who paid a big price when she dared to cross management. I'm talking uh, the WWF, in this case, Vince McMahon, and what remains billed as the original screwjob. I'll let Wendy tell you how it all went down. We get to, you know, this match uh, that a lot of people have have referred to now as the original screwjob. Um but how you know did you have any idea you, that things were that the uh negotiations with with Vince McMahon and, and the company were not going well but did you have any idea that they would resort to tactics that they ended up doing
9: No none at all No yeah. And i, mean, I you've was been, so young you know yeah. I'm, now I'm a, I'm a war veteran
0: <laughs> Yeah well, and also talk about your relationship with Moolah prior to that. I mean, she helped you get in the business. Uh, what was that relationship like before that?
9: It was never good. She didn't really help me get in the business. She used me, uh-huh. kind of like Elvis Presley's manager. Uh, she got 25% of my pay, and there were times I didn't even know what I got paid. Mm-hmm. She would give cut me a check. And so I had to stop that. But um, once I started wrestling, the promoters were asking for me. She didn't promote me. There was times uh, they said they tried to get me, and she told them I was booked, and I wasn't.
8: Uh-huh. And
9: um, I think she was She was a very hateful person. Uh-huh. And uh, I've never been around anyone that is, is hateful and spoke so coarsely. I mean, she was worse than a sailor. I've never heard anyone cuss, and her cuss combinations, and just the way she talked about people. Uh, I'd never been around that, and, uh, and, and I wasn't around it very long, because uh, that's the opposite of what I want to surround myself with. I'm a positive. I look forward to things, and I try to speak kind of people, or don't say anything, uh, but she hurt me um, yeah. anytime she could,
0: yeah.
9: and I realized that early on. She was an evil person, and I didn't ever want to be around her. Yeah.
0: Well, on that day, uh, November twenty fifth, of ni- nineteen eighty five, it was a title match, and uh, you're supposed to go against the, the Spider. Uh, when did you find out that it was Mula who was going to be behind that mask? That day. Yeah. And did you think something was up like, this is very strange, or did they play it up, but uh, circumstances led to
9: this? Well, I did. I did, because it was a championship match, and I, I called Cindy and said, Cindy, are you going to be there? And she said, I don't know anything about it. Hmm. I thought, well, that's strange. Yeah. But you know, I went ahead, and I, I, whoever it was, I, I had confidence I could beat them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you know what? Uh, they it was rigged to where uh, the referee gave me a fast count. Right. And that was that.
0: Yeah. So and yeah, I didn't and say going that
9: badly that hurt me. That hurt. Yeah. I mean that I have nobody has ever hurt me like they hurt me.
0: Yeah, and I actually looked I, at that I, video. I looked at that video this week, and uh, you know it's like a. A roll up, and then you know the the quick count there, which was I think about one before you put your shoulders up yeah. off the. um But when was a realization in your mind, like they just screwed me, they just then, did something right then. Yeah. Right then. So those when you went after Mula, that was uh, a shoot. <laughs> yeah.
9: Yeah. That's the last time I ever saw her.
0: What do? What did she say to you? Did she? Did you speak then at, at the at,
9: She didn't say anything. Mm-hmm nothing well, and i i stomped out of there and i wanted to speak to Vince McMahon and he was nowhere to be found well, i gathered up my stuff and left in my wrestling suit to the airport and that's the last i any communication with the WWF
0: yeah. I and never you never called sp- them and you never spoke to moola again
9: no no but they they contacted me a long time after that and wanted me to do a um a battle royal Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, "Is Moola gonna be in it? Because <laughs> I, I wanted to get back at her. She she was already dead and gone <laughs> to hell. So I didn't. I never got to wrestle her again."
0: Wendy Richter, just just an incredible woman, and still living life her way. Uh, The day we talked uh, uh, for this conversation, she was on her way home after winning a dog show with one of her prized pups. Uh, She really is amazing. She went back to school and uh, got a few degrees and has been doing very well. And uh, though you can't help but wonder, you know, uh, what she might have accomplished if she had uh, stayed with the WWF or, or had gone back after she left, but she, uh, she turned her back on it all and uh, still had an amazing career, but you can't help but wonder what it would have been like if um, she had stayed and been one of the superstars in the WWF. All right, we're going to take a quick break here to welcome in one of our great sponsors, Blue Chew. Uh, guys, remember the days when you were always ready to go? You know what I'm talking about. Well, now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. All right, let's 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 be honest here. Uh, it may be a constant problem. It may be an occasional problem. But no matter who you are, at some point, we men have had trouble performing when we really needed to. Right? Well, with Blue Chew, you can now increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed whenever you need to. BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue. BlueChew.com brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. And what's great about them uh, is that you can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. And guys, they make it very easy. I did it. All you have to do is go to BlueChew.com And then you answer a few questions and they take it from there. It is that simple. Uh, Blue Chew is prescribed uh, online and then it ships straight to your door in a discreet package. And so there's no in-person doctor's visit, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. I'm telling you, it just shows up. Shows up in the mail, uh, right there. And uh, they're also made in the USA, which is awesome. And since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. So what are you waiting for? Take it from me. If you want to improve your performance and get that extra confidence in bed, get Blue Chew now. And now couldn't be a better time to get your first order because, you know, the fact that you listen to this podcast, we have a very special deal for you. Visit bluechew.com right now, and you will get your first shipment absolutely free when you use our special promo code PRIMETIME. All you have to do is just pay $5 in shipping. Again, that's B L U E. Chew.com promo code PRIMETIME, to try it for free. So come on, guys. Man up, as they say. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice. That's BlueChew.com. Okay, now let's move on to two very virile men. (laughs) You know, coming off Blue Chew, I thought I could do that. Well, uh, but anyway, they're two guys that uh, certainly accomplished great feats uh, in the WWE. I'm talking about Adam Copeland and Jay Riso better known in the world of wrestling as edge and Christian. And, you know, guys, their story really is incredible. Uh, they met as young boys in a very small town in Canada. Uh, they became uh, best friends obsessed with wrestling. And that's, you know, that's amazing. Okay. But they eventually would become two of the greatest stars in the history of the WWE. Now, uh, I thought this would be cool to to have, uh, you know, like a little back and forth between the two, Uh, even though we had them on in two separate podcasts. I thought it would be cool to compare their stories of when they met, how they became friends, and then what it was like to make it uh, in the WWE and on top of all that, become champions. Take a listen. So, I mean, how old were you guys when you met?
10: Uh, sixth grade. So, oh, like, and I, I
0: thought it was I thought like your early teens, but really sixth grade. Yeah,
10: yeah. <laughs> so the the deal was he lived in an even smaller town yeah. called Grand Valley, which was like a neighboring town to Orangeville, which is where I was born and raised. Yeah. So he moved to to Orangeville, and he was the new kid, right? So everybody was kind of giving him either the, the stink eye, the hairy eyeball, or they were like, oh, he's the new kid. Who cares if he's wearing you know, sweatbands on his wrist and a football jersey and, and rugby pants?
0: Ooh, so he was cool.
10: Uh, well, <laughs> we weren't sure.
0: Noticeable. Thought, Let's
10: say noticeable. <laughs> but what he did have that I thought was was uber cool was he had a ninja star. Oh, Sounds crazy. Like the real nowadays. deal. Yes. Wow. And, and I know it sounds crazy nowadays, but you think back to this time, it was like 1984, maybe 85, mm-hmm. I guess. And karate illustrated had those ads in the back where you could order Ninja Stars. Yeah. You could order it, it, like that. Yeah. Gumchucks. <laughs> I mean, think about that. Yeah. You you have eight year olds ordering nunchucks and, and ninja stars, he, <laughs> yeah. he, so he has a ninja star and he said he was going to sell it to me because no. I was an aspiring ninja slash wrestler slash rock star. So he uh, he said, okay, well I'll meet you you know behind school after school yeah. and uh, you know we'll throw it into a tree. And sure enough, we met back there. We started throwing this ninja star into the tree as we're doing it. He goes, you know, I I just kind of, I don't think I want to sell it, but (laughs) also, and I was kind of mad. I was kind of mad, but at the same time, throughout the conversation, we both realized we loved wrestling. And from that ninja star came, you know, a connection that, you know, crazily enough still lives to this day
0: two guys from this little town, they have a dream and then they, they not just one because both of them <laughs> reached right. this right. unbelievable success in professional right. I mean, wrestling. I mean, it is, it's, I know. it's really hard to even fathom.
11: I know. And it's funny too, growing up that we had, um, you know, we were close to the, the Western New York yeah. border, buf, yeah. Buffalo, Niagara yeah. Falls, New York being the closest, probably about 90, 90 miles away from where we grew up. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we got Buffalo, New York stations. So All we right. got lucky in the sense that, you know, the, the WWF at the time shows would come on at noon on the Buffalo channel. And then 1 PM on the Canadian channel, completely different shows. So we had two hours worth of wrestling on Saturday afternoons where I got to see you doing the, uh, the updates yeah, and yeah, let me know what, a... uh, what superstars were coming to what town. So I grew up with you and I wasn't wearing pants then either. I, that's... I know right uh yeah but if i don't we know
0: you know before we though get into the uh because i wanted to talk about of course what everybody's talking about the Edge and christian show but since we got on the track here with you guys and growing up and, and I, mm. the big question is is why you reneged on that ninja star uh yeah you we're supposed well, to sell it
11: and i, I no one right. has really given me the answer well i didn't really want to sell it oh, that it was, was the thing It was a ploy to get friends because I just moved to this town. I moved to Orangeville from a smaller town that was called Grand Valley that had about 8,000 people in it. And, you know, I was the new kid and, you know, everyone's kind of, um, you know, curious about this new kid that's in class and, and, um, you know, just talking and I just kind of randomly had said, hey, I have this ninja throwing star if anybody wants to throw it. (laughs) So, you know, on recess, we'd have this ninja throwing star and we'd throw throwing it in the trees and stuff like that. And everybody kind of wanted their turn with it. And, and uh You know, I kind of had said, you know, I I was thinking about selling it. Yeah. If anybody, you know, if anybody wants to buy it. Yeah. yeah, Good move. And then I said, Hey, you know, anybody want, you know, come over to my house. I had this, I had this wood shed in the backyard and used to just throw it, stand there and throw it against the shed. So, you know, after schools, I'd have, you know, four or five, six kids in the backyard and we'd all be taking turns throwing this and then just throwing star and then people making bids on it and stuff like that. And it kind of whittled down to Adam kind of being the, the last guy that really wanted it. (laughs) And, um, like I said, I didn't really want to sell it, yeah. so I kind of pulled it off the table. Oh. And um, I was like, "Look, you know, if you want to stay my friend, you can throw it anytime you want, but you know, I'm, I'm not selling it." Yeah, I, it's <laughs> so a, it's a one of a kind. I, I it's see. a one of a kind. But but from that, you know, Adam and I started talking about you know our interests, and, and we both happened to be big fans of wrestling, and that was kind of what brought us together as as friends. After the uh, the Ninja Star fiasco, we um, you know, we became friends because of wrestling.
0: I love those two guys, and I, although I never got to work with them uh, in the world of wrestling uh, with the WWE, um, it's really been cool getting to know them uh, since, and they've had me appear in a couple of their programs, and we've kept in touch. Uh, you know, you can catch them on the Edge and Christian show on the WWE Network. Of course, don't miss that Mooney's episode. <laughs> uh, you know, they've got so much going on. They may no longer be in the ring, but they are busier than ever uh, with their podcast Uh, you know, the one that reeks of awesomeness, and then, uh, you know, several different television projects that they're both involved in. So uh, I really uh, enjoyed those conversations with those two, and I hope to have many more in the future. All right, this next clip involves um, a not often heard from personality from the golden era of the WWF. And uh, he wasn't known for being a wrestler, but he was a sidekick. And he was a really, really unique individual. And we had a very unique conversation. I'm talking about Jameson. Remember him? Uh, He was Bobby Heenan's sidekick um, during the 80s there. And uh, he came to the uh, WWF after Vince had been part of an audience at a mystery theater in Connecticut. I'm not kidding. This is how that all happened. And um, they had a pretty good run. uh, He did uh, with Bobby. And uh, he had a lot of interesting stories to tell, many I had never heard before. And uh, it was just a great conversation. So uh, here's a piece of that uh, that chat that we had when we got caught up with Jameson. So many people want to hear about uh, that character, Jameson, that you played. And, uh, you know, with my podcast, I'm always fascinated. One of the things that, and, and I've... Uh, known this since i was uh young uh, that you know your path is really what <laughs> early on uh develops the kind of person that that uh, who they become and what profession they go into and i'm always fascinated by uh you know people's road that they they take um i i i gather that you grew up in new york and were you always this kid who was a performer because that's usually uh kind of the early signs that somebody is going to be an entertainer?
12: Um, I was, but privately, like really in my family, amongst my friends. I, I, so many people told me growing up and into my teens and early twenties, you know, you should do stand up, And I, uh, was more of a realist and, and, uh, went to college and, um, Was on Wall Street after college for, um, you know, eight or nine years before. I just totally burned out. All those Wall Street movies are true, by the way. Yeah, and that's Um, what
0: I was going to say. You've heard this story before. Yeah,
12: but it's all, I mean, it it was even worse than those movies. Um, And I decided before I, if I I stay here, I'm going to die. Let me go do stand-up. And I did. But and, did you have that uh,
0: acting bug early on? I mean, were you, did you never? I didn't even have school? it. No,
12: I didn't even have it when I was acting. I mean, I really wanted to do stand up. And friends of mine started this murder mystery company, this audience participation um, murder mystery, where, yeah, which was
0: popular at that, at that time. Very I popular.
12: It, it was on the heels of Tony and Tina's wedding, which was probably the forerunner of all those audience participation shows. Um, and we had a great company. We, we went equity. Um, you know, we, we had all union actors. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, we actually won a competition held by Fox, New York, best murder mystery company in New York and got to do it live on, uh, one of their broadcasts. And, um, it just, you know, I, I, I wasn't an actor, but I would say 75% of those shows was improvisation. Right. And I was really good with thinking on my feet and and all that. And in the, one of those shows, we developed the character of Jameson.
8: Yeah.
12: And Vin, Vince actually came to one of the shows um, reluctantly. Um, it was one of his friends wives surprise birthday party. They rented the whole, the whole restaurant. Right. Um, And we did a performance and Vince just thought I was the funniest thing he ever saw as Jameson Uh and brought me into uh audition with Bobby told me, come in, in character, don't break character. I want Bobby to really think you are this guy. Uh And, Um, we had a a blast for about an hour and they put a contract in front of me and I was the co-host of The Bobby Heenan Show.
0: Well, that was a classic example of not knowing uh, what a conversation is going to lead you to uh, when you get a guest and especially with somebody like Jameson. But, you know, it, it was like I saw the guy yesterday and we just picked up right from there and you know his roots are in, in uh, stand up comedy, so he, he was—he's just funny. He's one of those people that just is, uh, you know, uh, just naturally funny, and he—he's still funny as hell. And I really, really enjoyed working uh, with Jameson and, and also catching up to him. He's got a son who's uh, a very famous actor now. He's uh, in a, a been in a bunch of uh, um, sitcoms, and um, his, he's kind of helping him with his career. But uh, really, really enjoyed talking to jameson this next guest i never really had uh, much of a chance to work with i you know i was there at the wwf when he was there uh but when that whole angle was going on i did a few things with him but uh you know not as much as i certainly would have liked to but i do recall just being completely enamored uh, by his physical presence he was certainly one of the most incredible physical specimens uh at the time in wrestling and he had it all and uh, he is a classic example of somebody who, reeks, uh, who reaches these peaks and then it, it, it comes crashing down. And when he went back to the WCW is when it all fell apart. And he was willing to share uh, a lot of it with us on Primetime. Lex Luger. You know, and Lex, you, you talk about your family, I mean, your your, uh, your mom and other people, but uh rarely publicly do you hear you talk about your your family and your relationship with your with with Brian and Ashley and and Peggy and have you been able to fix that uh over the years now because I'm sure that was a heavy burden have you been able to what is that relationship like now with them
3: you know I've I reached out through the years Sean um the I can't even imagine what I put them through in a very public way. Back in those days, my wife is happily remarried, which I'm so thrilled for her. Mm-hmm. Um, they move forward with their life. They're happy that I'm in a better place now, but you know, Sean, there's consequences for things that we did in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm in a better place, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the things that happened back in the day that people might be happy for, doesn't mean they want to be an integral part of your life. So, mm-hmm. I'd like to say there's been a huge happy ending and all that from my standpoint, I'd love to have a relationship with my family. That's not really there. Um, I love them. I, I pray for them. And I will always seem to reach out to them now and then, but that's not, um, an integral part of my life at this point. But mm-hmm. for me and the perspective I have now, we're only here for a, a brief flicker, a blink of an eye of time compared to eternity. So, um, yeah. my hope and prayer, Sean, Would be that I'll be able that they'll get to know Jesus like I do, and that I'll see him in heaven. I'll be able to spend eternity with him. Mm -hmm. So I'd always God's given me a big picture picture perspective on that, and God's also taught me that hey, um, there's consequences for things that happened in the past as well.
0: Well, and there's and a lot of wrestling fans. um, You got involved with Elizabeth Hewlett, and. Mm -hmm. A lot of wrestling fans, Lex, remember her, and this is how I saw it, too, is that you know, she was Miss Elizabeth, the innocent Mm -hmm. woman by Randy Savage's side, and then basically after she left the WWF, she disappeared in many ways to them. Like, she did some, you know, spots in WCW with you. So, I don't think they ever really understood who she was. And Mm -hmm. Can you give us some some background on that? Because the, Randy and 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 Liz were divorced in '92, and right. everybody know knew of their relationship. Those who uh, worked within the company, we knew what that uh, what that relationship was. It wasn't as insane as people you know make it out to be in a sense. But Randy was unbelievably protective or jealous, and all these and. Right. So it wasn't a a real healthy relationship. But could you give us some idea of who she was um, and then how you two ended up together?
3: Well, um, we were really I mean, everybody loved and respected uh, Miss Elizabeth. Like you said, my gosh, talking about the uh, uh, iconic uh, woman and a man and a man, man's sport back then. Right right so um i really got to know her during the monday night wars we'd all stay at the same hotels and we would see each other at the building and what i thought there's no such thing as an instant flirtation. i was obviously a married man and had yeah. no business uh with any other women looking back on it now but um work hard play hard um over time we got to know each other a little bit at the building um never any thoughts of her. I like hooking up or anything. I And then she was married. I was married. Mm-hmm. She had remarried someone. It was Randy was a long time ago and he had brought other women like to the buildings that go to the ring with them. So that was long done with. And she had remarried a guy in South Florida. So what started out as I thought is an instant flirtation a little bit uh, with a lot of us, the nitro girls and the guys in the hotel, you know, the, you know, mix all that together. Right, Sean? Yeah. After the matches with alcohol. Oh, and pills boy. And, yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, what started out was I thought was an infiltration ended up becoming a full blown, uh, extramarital affair for both of us. Yeah. And, um, she ended up getting divorced and moving to Atlanta where I lived and it continued on and, and progressed. And, um, yeah, that was, uh, something happened and she, um, the lifestyle that we were all living at the time was, you know, that we just talked about with drugs and alcohol. Um, she was, uh, partaking in that as well. Mm -hmm. And, but who would have, none of us ever anticipate, um, overdosing, which is tragic. What happened was Elizabeth with Elizabeth. And, uh, you know, I've discussed before the night it happened. I mean, we were, I spent the day with my son, and um, I came back, and we ended up watching movies and popping some pills and uh, drinking some, some vodka. And um, right before I called 911, literally, um, she stand at the microwave. I was, got, I was heating us up some Boston Market meatloaf and mashed potatoes, one of our favorites. And uh, mm-hmm. she had gone up to the microwave to help out. I go, oh, I got this. Let us sit down. I got this. Took her her meatloaf and mashed potatoes, and he'd mime up and got back and sat down on the couch, and she uh, was uh, I thought she'd fallen asleep, and I told people this and when I talk about drugs that you just never know how dangerous drugs are like Russian roulette. Yeah. One minute she was fine, standing next to me at the microwave. The next minute I thought she was asleep on the couch. I'd her her and say Hey Lex, wake up. Hey Liz, you know, wake up, eat your eat your eat your, eat your grub, and she didn't respond. Mm. I'm like wow she's really boy did she pass out so I, I set my tray down stood up uh, and uh, got over her and kind of shook her a little bit to, to wake her up and she did not respond mm. and I'll just never forget I, I pulled her eyelids back and her eyes were like completely dilated mm. and she didn't respond I go uh oh right away Sean I knew something was really bad going on I'm not a medic or doctor or anything but I ran to the phone and called 911 and tried to follow. It's really a blur to me even now. I lived right down the street from the fire department. They were there, Sean, within like two minutes. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to um, do CPR, which I didn't really know how to do. But they came in and took over and ended up carting her out of there. And I thought, wow, they're going to get her to the hospital and she's going to be okay. And she wasn't. She, I was sitting out in my front yard and they. Took Told me that to us, she didn't make it. So,
8: mm.
3: I remember um, when they went through my place, they found all the drugs and alcohol that was a part of my lifestyle back then. They arrested me on drug possession, and I remember sitting in the jail cell at night, realizing, "Wow, um, this is uh, a really dark time." Mm-hmm. And um, I, uh, I, I've shared this a couple times. I, I thought about. The only time in my life I thought about that, talk about other people, what was the low point? Like so I remember thinking about they take your shoelaces, they take everything from you when you get checked in the jail. I was there on drug possession, on, on drugs they found. Mm-hmm. And because there, there was a lot of big quantities, I was the big party house there. And uh, they took me in and I was in the jail cell and they put me by myself because uh, they didn't want to put me in general population because people knew who I was. Yeah. My mates get all stirred up. So I'm in the jail cell so was out. I actually thought, wow, there's no camera here. Maybe I was trying to think of a way to end it. I thought about climbing up. There's a dividing wall in this little cell I was in by myself that shut the toilet off. I thought about maybe if I could climb up on top of that divider wall, and put my hands behind my head, and fall head first on the cement to the floor, I can end it all.
0: Jeez. Mm, so.
3: That was that night. Yeah. And um I didn't do that, but I sure thought about it. Yeah. And that was a really dark time for me for a period of whew, a couple years, Sean. Yeah. Um I thought my career was over, I thought um what happened with Liz and um the tragedy there, unspeakable tragedy there. Um People thought, "Wow, that might be a wake-up call." I went further into it. I'm a, as I speak with you today, I'm a miracle of God to be here.
0: You yeah. were you you You, you, I mean, num- I, you were I, trying to, to numb total, yourself.
3: I went a total self-medication mode. Yeah. And I got high every night. I'm I I would pop pills, drink. I mean, I wasn't trying to kill myself, but I sure was on. I, I was on the path of destruction for sure. I, I it's a miracle I didn't overdose so many of those nights over the next couple of years. I end up moving into a hotel and just uh. even isolating myself. I wasn't even going out anymore. I was in the total period of isolation at that point.
0: Going to uh, a few of these uh, shows that I've had the opportunity to go to, um, I've had an, an opportunity to, to see Lex. And it's, it's really difficult to see him now and how different he is physically. Um, uh, You know, he's had some uh, very um, tough issues physically, and it's been very difficult uh, for him. But it is also amazing to see the person that that guy has become. He's uh, really incredible. Uh, uh, Faith fills his life now. That is, uh, you know, he found Christ, and it really is what fills his life. And he is, uh, you know— Maybe back in the day, he might have been—you know—might have been tough to work with, and he certainly, uh, you know, fit that role, I guess, of narcissist. But um, the Lex Luger today uh, is just an incredible person. And as I mentioned, faith is what it's all about for him. He is one of the nicest people you ever want to meet. I—I I hope you've had a chance, maybe as of late, to uh, see him. Uh, he is just an incredible person to be around. There is a light around him. Uh, just a, a very positive individual, uh, and I wish him well. I hope that um, his health it stays good, and that uh, he's still able to, uh, you know, spread his message and um, and reach out to a lot of people. And he's uh, he's doing great. Well, now it's time to move on to one of my all-time favorite tag teams, uh, who had the, who I did have the great fortune to be around a lot. Uh, I'm talking about Ax and Smash Demolition, and um, if you'll recall back in that uh, period of time. Um, tag teams were huge during that era tag teams were a huge part of the business and one of the greatest duos in the history of professional wrestling were axe and smash of demolition Uh, there are a lot of great ones but they are certainly right up there and it it took a while to get these two guys on um, but when we did it turned out to be a very unique podcast as we had the conversation while barry darso and bill Eady of demolition were in a car Heading to an event outside of Chicago, and I loved every mile that we shared. Uh, here's part of the ride.
8: You know, it's, it's
5: fun now. You go to all the conventions and you do all this stuff, and, you know, all, all the fans are asking, you know, when are you going to get into the Hall of Fame, you know, and all this stuff. And, you know, who knows? You, you know, we may never ever, because there are so many tag teams out there.
8: And I know, I think-
0: but, but it's also on your part, too uh Barry, I mean and and uh Bill as well that uh you guys deserve to be in there. I know they've approached you. Uh what would it take to accept that that honor?
5: Right now, you know, Bill and I were kinda of laughing about it not too long. Yeah. When we were at WrestleMania and that's when I saw you at the WrestleCon. Yeah. We were kinda of laughing and we just thought, you know, if they asked us to go in, what what would we really do now? You know? it's been what 20 years since we've been around the business and yeah the guys the guys make what five six thousand dollars bill a time when they when they go to the hall of fame supposedly yeah so <laughs> we're kind of laughing, but I, I thought, you know i think it would take probably a hundred thousand dollars at least to bring us in for the hall of fame and i thought what a good number because you know i it's like my mother-in-law she's the greatest woman of all time. And she has a church in Belmont, Mount Holly in North Carolina. And I would mm-hmm. give like 10,000 of that to her church. And then I take another 10,000 of that hundred thousand and I give it to my son. He's a, a deputy in the sheriff's department for the canine unit. And then I'd probably give some more money. You know, I'm thinking of all these different charity charities. T- yeah. I'd give my partner 10,000. Know, <laughs> yeah. The driver, but but you know what I mean. It would uh, I would have to say it'd probably be a hundred thousand dollars to even get us to go there.
0: Yeah. And, well, and you? like you said, you would probably give it all away. But uh, as far you know, that the the fans out there uh, really want to see you in. Yeah, it,
1: it'd be nice. Well, you know, it, it's nice because uh, like when we saw you at Russell Wrestle, uh, a lot of a lot of the people come up and say the same thing. Yeah. And we appreciate their loyalty and them being fans of ours and just remembering that we were in the business and remembering uh, things that made an imprint on their life. So yeah. Yeah. It, it, it would be a nice footnote, but, you know, Barry and I have both said a number of times, we have no control over it. Uh, if we get in, Great. If we don't get in, we're not going to lose sleep over it.
0: No. Yeah. So uh, that's where we stand. So in the meantime, I mean, you guys are, are working, uh working all over the place. I know that uh, Barry uh, spent a lot of time, and and you know, as a Crusher crew chef at uh, uh, with the IWA and beyond that, you had a lot of successful years with with Jim Crockett in the NBA, NWA. Uh, Barry, during that run, uh, did you see like where that was going? I don't know. You know, tag team competition was kind of something that everybody kind of filled in here and there. Was was that even on your radar when when things came up? Because I know in '87, when you left there, then a, a, a tremendous opportunity came your way.
8: Yeah,
5: um, when I when I left uh, Crockett's territory, I I was on the road for so long and. Right. You know, I mean, we we wrestled every day, weekends, twice a day, double shots. It was, I was pretty wore out. So when I, when I left, I just wanted to get some time off. But in the meantime, I talked to uh, Earl Hebner and he talked to Dave Hebner and I told him, I said, I really want to get into the WWF. Yeah, so, it's a place to be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, you know, I, I thought, well, maybe in a year or so I can get there and, you know, train and get myself in shape you know better shape and then ricky steamboat calls me up and he says hey barry he says i'm gonna i talked to abner i'm gonna go talk to uh vince for you and see if we can get you up here so about two weeks later i a sudden i get a call at home and it's vince and he says yeah barry uh vince mcmahon you know and i, I was like "Holy shit vince is calling me
8: yeah
5: and uh so we start talking and everybody and Vince says, yeah, I'd like you to come up to the office and uh, I'd like to meet you and talk to you about a little uh, gimmick that I I got going up here. And I said, well, Vince, I'm pretty busy. I don't know if I can get up there. And then he kind of <laughs> laughed. I said, when do you want me? I'll, you know, I can leave right now, you know. Right. right. So anyways, I, I, uh, I ended up uh, going up to Connecticut and a limo picks me up and get up there. And then I met with Pat. Vin and you know a few other people, and then uh, Vince comes in the room, and he had me sign this little contract saying I couldn't talk about what it, what it was. Right. And he said, "How do you feel about being partners with uh, Bill Eady?" Uh uh-huh. I, I would love to be partners with Bill Eady. And
0: H- had you guys said, been around each other much before then?
5: Not a lot, but I I've yeah. met I met you, you Bill knew, and of him. Yeah. And then I just knew a lot of people that I worked with who worked with Bill and, you know, we knew all the same people, but we were in different territories.
0: Yeah. So, well, Bill, one. this you had this, uh, Bill had this, I don't know how demolition came together, but obviously it was a, it was a, a great uh, idea that had been formed. And of course, you know, they had the, the road warriors were out there and, and uh, these, these, you know, powerful tag teams were very popular at the time. Uh, we should tell everybody if they don't know the history of it that uh, you know Bill came to the WWF along with uh, Randy Colley, and uh, who was formerly Moondog Rex, uh, Moondog Rex as everybody knew him, and he was the original Smash. Uh, but apparently, uh, people knew him too well, I guess, from his his previous gimmick. Yeah, they were, this, this opened exactly. a door for you, so maybe Bill, you could you know kind of fill that in or, or Barry.
1: Well, they recognized Randy right away. He was their previous champion. Right. He was there for a number of years. And uh, I was going back and forth to Japan at the time. And the first night that uh, Randy and I, I don't remember if it was Allentown or the Meadowlands, one of the two, where we did two television uh, appearances. And both times the the fans didn't know me because they had no reference point. I was a, in their previous, as a nice superstar, but they right. they recognize Randy, yeah. and it, I, I told Vince, I said it's it's a hell of a gimmick. It's going to get over, but it's not going to get over with Randy, unfortunately. So, if you want to do it, you I'll go back. Get, but,
0: but how did how I, did you come up with? Did you were you part of that? Uh, did you come up with the idea of demolition and and uh, how how it would you know what the well, gimmick would be comprised of?
1: Randy had come up with a number of ideas. One of them was uh, a lot of fur on the boots and a yeah. Uh, the movie, the Mad Max.
0: Right, right. So we, That's exactly.
1: But I don't think it's. It looked kind of clowny. It was like uh, Berserker's boots, you know the uh those furry boots and stuff like that. Oh yeah, like I
0: that.
1: those. <laughs> furry jacket. It worked for him. They worked for him, but they weren't going to work for this character. Yeah, right. Many different things. Yeah. So we tweaked it, we tweaked it, and then I had already committed to go back to Japan. And I think Barry and I, we met up in Charlotte, right?
8: Atlanta. Atlanta. Atlanta? And
1: I, I, like Barry said, we knew a lot of people that over the years, but we had never been in time, and uh, Vince had suggested a number of other people, but it was going to be the same thing right you know the four or five people as he suggested were all well-known established people. and I said, you got to bring in somebody different yeah And I, I had met with Barry and I said, you know fine with me if you want to do it. And it was fine with me if you don't want to do it, Vince because I was going back to Japan. He said, well you can't go back. I said, I give him my word I'm going back. If I gave you my word I was coming in, you just expect me to be here. So yeah. that's where Barry had gone up. So I let Barry finish up.
5: So then, um, so then uh, Vince came in and he had about five or six different drawings of what the character was going to look like. So I was looking at it. And I'm, you know, here I grew up with the Road Warriors, and I knew how successful they were. But they were in that same territory where I used to be. Right. And so that wasn't the big leagues. When, when you were there, you thought it was the big leagues. But then when you got to, you know, the WWF at that time, now it was like, holy cow. So the gimmick was kind of the same, but wasn't the same. Right. And I knew being partners with, you know, after being partners with Ivan, I really learned how to work. I could wrestle. I could get on the mats. I could, I could do, you know, have a match with anybody. And I knew Bill was like that because after watching him as the mass superstar, I knew that the way he worked and the way I worked, it was going to be a real team. And I was so excited. I told Vince, I said, count on me for this. If, if Bill wants me for a partner, I would love to be this and he didn't tell me what the name of the gimmick was at that time.
0: Uh-huh.
5: And I, I told Vince, I, you know, I said, so when, when do you plan on starting this? And Vince says, well, you know, when do you want to start? And I said, I, I got to have a break. I said, I've only had a month off. I say, I need to get my mind right and start training. He says, well, why don't we, uh, why don't I sign you to a contract and we'll start in about uh, three, four months. Uh-huh. So then uh, I met met Bill at a TV and we talked and you know, all that kind of good stuff. And you know, it just, we hit it off just great. And I knew the gimmick was going to be good and it ended up being really good.
0: Barry Darso and Bill Eadie axe and smash of demolition. Uh, they're still rolling on. There's no question that these guys uh, are just <laughs> incredible. And uh, they, they, They had a lot to say in that conversation. Uh, I'm wondering if uh, the WWE is willing to come up with $100,000. We'll see what happens. Are you laughing, Sean? Oh, my. Did you just laugh, Sean? Uh, Chills just went down my spine. And uh, no, I'm not laughing now. That's for sure. Because I just heard those words from Sid Justice. Sid was uh, very unpredictable back in the 80s. And uh, he was the same during our podcast podcast but it was awesome. I have to tell you, I mean, it was just an awesome conversation. That guy, it just, can somebody get more real? Uh, you can, you can argue where, where his, uh, level <laughs> of stability might be, but I think, I think Sid Justice knows exactly what he's doing or Sid Udi is, I, uh, is he, uh, is his real name, but, uh, you know, you still, I'm, when, when he says things like that, are you laughing, Sean? Uh, that gets your attention. And, uh, you know what you what you see, what you hear is what you get in the case of Sid Udy. Uh, so candid when we had a conversation on PTSM, and he certainly pulled no punches talking about Hulk Hogan and a choice that cost him a lot of money with the WWF. Here's that and more. You must have been uh, by the time he came back we were probably pretty smartened up at that point.
6: You know, Sean, this is a deal and I'm not exaggerating. Yeah. I don't even remember my first WrestleMania. I didn't realize it was WrestleMania and I'm not kidding you. I never looked at a booking sheet. I didn't care who I was working with. I didn't care. It was a business to me. I didn't care if I won or lost. I just wanted to get paid.
0: So it was a house show basically. <laughs> like I'm just, I'm just showing up. doing my. Yes.
6: Honestly, you know, I got, you know, after my first WrestleMania, someone said, you know, you were at main event WrestleMania? I said, no, was I? And they said, yeah. And I remembered the uh, the Hoosier Dome, but I didn't really realize that was WrestleMania. I do remember doing the interviews for it, and because I had that Southern accent, I guess I was saying wrestling mana or saying it the wrong way, and there was a big sign there that said, tell Sid, just say Mania. Um and, and what it was at that point, you know, Sean, Vince was really upset with me because I'd already given my notice mm. to quit.
0: Yeah.
6: And the reason was is because on that situation was in that company, I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, uh, you know, I left a, a big guaranteed contract to come into this place. And the, what the deal was, I was going to do TVs and pay-per-views for one year. And after WrestleMania, I was going to be the world champ and I was going to f- start my first house show. Well, he had the fire of the warrior at SummerSlam and all that shit changed. You know, so from the very beginning, things just didn't go right. So we were in Albany, New York at Royal Rumble where um, uh, I think Hogan pulled me out from the outside or something. And they started booing him. All right. When we get back to the dressing room, you know, Hogan is screaming and acting like a woman. And I go, hold on a minute. He's screaming, at Vince.
1: You set this up. You made this happen.
6: I and I, I I didn't even know Vince was that bad of a person at the time. You know that did things like that. I thought that was just all hearsay. Um, cause I didn't care. You know, I really didn't care what they did. So I went to Vince's office. I, I said, Vince, listen, man. Uh, I stuck my hand out. I said, I'm gonna I'm gonna thank you for the opportunity, but I'm gone. Uh, I cannot work in a place that grown men act like women. And he said, no, 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 I'm not shaking your hand. I said, well, it's not going to do you good. I'm leaving. He mm-hmm. said, well, will you just stay till WrestleMania. And I said, okay, I'll stay till WrestleMania. And, um, that's what I did. And I think I finished up a couple days after WrestleMania.
0: Getting back to your time in the WWF and was, what was your relationship like with, with Terry, with, with, uh, with Hogan, you know, face to face, he was always
6: great to me. Um, uh-huh. I don't know if he said or did things by my back. I don't know that, but he was always, from the very first day to the last time I saw him, the guy was always really good to me.
0: Now, uh, but when you refer like, I mean, I think a classic example is that 91 Royal Rumble you you, you talked about where, you know, you go in, you say the finish, and that was never, I mean, obviously you knew what was going to go on at the end there, but when, uh, you know, you end up in the ring uh, and, and Hulk, you know, you said you actually well, there was a bigger pop when for you when that happened. Did you remember at that time when you were in the arena going, "Wow, uh, this is that's kind of crazy"?
6: This is the thing, is Sean. At that at that, that in that particular oh, what do you call era? No, at that particular month or that year of the business, yeah. you know, you know, Sean, you know this business. Hogan was already on his on the downhill skid. He wasn't getting cheered. You know that that three Stooges comeback wasn't working anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, that was his comeback, right?
0: Well, I, yeah, well, I know what you're saying with the, yeah, coming back with, no, the,
6: he copied that from Curly off the three Stooges. <laughs> you're not aware of that.
0: Yeah. No, I, I never had it presented to me that way. But
6: <laughs> well, he, he presented that to me like that. i uh. will never forget. I thought, okay, I've got to have a heel match and get blah, blah, blah. He goes, no brother, this is going to be easy. He said, you just beat me up a little bit. He said, All of a sudden, I'll start doing the shake and I'll sh- slap my face down a couple times like Curly does. You go throw a punch, I'll block it. You hit me, I'll hit you. Do that a couple times, blah, 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 blah. And that's all. That's how easy it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, it didn't make for great matches, but it, it worked for him. So when you're doing that kind of match after that long of a time, people are going to shit on that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they're going to get tired of it. So And then in the business, you know, Sean, too, it's not that I was any better than Hogan. He'd had his run, and they needed someone new. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure Vince, that's why he said, Go, you, "You got Hogan's spot."
0: I want to talk about the the how that first uh, trip to the WWF, uh, WWF at the time happened because uh, you were still you're with the WCW. Were there back right. channels that reached out to you? How did that? I'm always uh, fascinated by how right, that. This happened.
6: is how this exactly happened. And if I'm lying, I'm. I don't. I never lie, Sean, because I think it's stupid to lie, and I have no reason to lie. This is what happened. I'm in WCW. Dusty Rhodes has been told he's going to be the new booker. He's leaving WWF and coming back to WCW. Now, he sends in Magnum TA to take over for him so he can get, get there, right? Mm-hmm. So Magnum comes to me and says, you're going to be Dusty's man, okay? So, I mean, they're pushing me really big at this point in WCW. Yeah. All right, so... um, Dusty comes in for this first, our first face-to-face meeting. He says, listen, he says, I want you to go to Jim Hurd, and I want them to sign you to a new contract, and I want you here. And he says, you're going to be everything, you know, and Dusty's way of saying things, which was really cool. Uh, and this was maybe one of the greatest moments of my life to hear that someone cared that much about me. Um, he said, uh, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. You're going to be everything, Sid. And he said, now you just go to them and you, you sign a contract that I know you're going to be here now at the time I'm only making 250,000 a year. And, uh, but that's good money because nobody else is making that money there. You know, just a couple of people.
8: Yeah.
6: All right. So, uh, we come to agreement. I think it was, um, they offered me 500,000 and this wow. was a long time ago. So that was yeah, a lot that's of
0: a lot of money then.
6: So I'm thinking, okay. <laughs> now I, I I go home and I'm talking to my wife and now when they opened up this door they off, offer offered opened a door that I could call Vince so you I said you know what I want Hogan's spot and I think I can take that so I'm gonna call Vince McMahon and Sabrina said don't oh no I said no I'm gonna try this so I called you know Titan's office and they said who is this I said man said vicious I want to talk to Vince McMahon and I'm not bullshitting you in thirty, in three seconds he was on the phone. Sid Vicious, yeah, Vince McMahon. And within forty-five minutes, I was left my house. I was on a jet, and I was in his office within that afternoon. All right, he says, he sits down, and says, "Well, Sid, we don't give guaranteed money, but here's the magic wand. You tell me what you want." I said, "I want Hogan's spot." He said, "It's yours." And um, I said, "Okay, well, let me go home, talk to my wife about it, and I'll get back
0: with you." All right, so.
6: As I get back home the same day,
0: when he said it's yours, uh, what was the rest of that conversation?
6: Uh, well, he said, he said, I said, well, what kind of money can we talk about? He, he made some examples, what merchandising did and what WrestleMania would bring and things like that. So, you know, what he said, WrestleMania would bring was going to off, was going to be the same that I was going to make in a year at WCW. mm -hmm. He suggested that, right? He didn't say for sure. All right. He said what Hogan had made. So, uh, I go home and he didn't, of course, there's nothing guaranteed. The contract says, I guarantee you one day of work for a year at $250. Mm-hmm. So time I get home now, Sean, WCW has caught wind of this somehow. Mm-hmm. And so now they've offered me $750,000. So
8: guaranteed. Wife,
6: you're guaranteed. And mm-hmm. this is the first time ever. So I said, you know what? Fuck Vince McMahon. I'm going to sign that tomorrow morning. So I leave. This is a, this is probably the biggest mistake in my life. <laughs> All right, I'm leaving. The phone rings. My wife answers the phone. She says, Vince, I said, tell him I'm gone. She said, I already told him you're here. So I get on the phone. She, he said, Vince. I said, Vince. I said, yeah. I said, well, look, Vince, I, are you going on your way to sign that contract? I said, yes, I am. And I said, I didn't want to call you back and put you in the in the middle and, and tried to play the middle game because I didn't think that was fair. So I, I just said, you know, Mr. McMahon, this is more money than I could ever dream of. And I'm going to sign the deal exact words to me. He says, Sid, you'll never get this opportunity again. Hmm. So on the way from there to, to the, to the towers, the CNN towers, I made my mind up to fucking take that chance. And it was a, it was a big mistake. Huh. Uh, I never made that kind of money there. I made 150 thousand for WrestleMania. I made good money. I didn't make. I don't think I made 750. Um, but it still, it was a, it was a big mistake. Um, and my, you know, when I look back on it, that was the only real mistake
0: I made in the business. That is one of the more uh, absolute, real conversations that uh, we've had on Prime Time with Sean Mooney. Uh, One thing about Sid, man, um, he tells it like it is. And I truly believe that he was willing to walk away at any given moment. Uh, In many ways, though, that helped make him a lot of money in the WWF, because I I think that Vince McMahon believed that too. Uh, Sid, certainly a very unique individual. Now, if you have watched uh, the HBO documentary on Andre the Giant, you most certainly remember the heartfelt comments by Tim White, um, the famed referee from the WWF and, and the WWE, and the man who took care of Andre during his time with the company. Um, I had a great conversation with Timmy about his friendship with Andre, but he also had some great stories about his time as a referee, including the Hell in a Cell match between The Undertaker and Mick Foley. Uh, there's a lot in these, uh, this little clip here, and I know you're going to enjoy it with Tim White. It it must have been uh, quite an experience, and, and uh, I'm sure you could, you know, in that documentary, you were, you were so great in it, Tim. I mean, of, of anybody who I felt really captured uh, and shared who he really was, it was you. And, and there were certainly other people on there, but uh, you were really uh, a big part of his life.
2: Well, and again, I I am so glad it came off like that. They did a wonderful job. I did run into, because um, uh, I, I, I go on appearances now with uh, talent to make sure everything's good. Yeah. And, I, and I ran into Carrie Hughes yeah. and um, Chris Arandon, both from the Princess Bride movie. Oh, I love that and movie. we sat and talked and they said, what a pleasure, what a great guy. But uh, one quick story was, Andre almost lost his spot in that movie um, because Carrie loved Andre so much, so he'd come to his trailer at night. they play cards and drink all night. And the next day, they pick you up at 4.30 to go to the set.
8: Yes.
2: <laughs> and it was the outdoor scene on the side of the hills or cliffs or something. And, and uh, when they both got there, uh, Rob Reiner goes, What the hell? Because they both look like shit on camera. So now there's a day of shooting wasted. That's a big, big uh, waste of a day. So um, uh, Reiner made it to Andre and goes, look, you might be the boss in that wrestling business. I'm the boss here. The all-night games, the party, and anything. You're not going to screw this picture up in in read him the Riot Act. No one ever read him the Riot Act. Yeah, and, no uh,
8: kidding.
2: As a, yeah, so it was great because he didn't want him to lose his spot in the movie because a lot of people were concerned that they couldn't understand his verbiage and all that. And, uh, that all worked out and the movie was great. But oh, seeing man. that, uh, Carrie, because he's done so great and so was Chris sarandon and, and, uh, I met Mandy Patinkin and Robert back in the day and, uh, the only time I sh- I saw Andre nervous, you know like you and I would get like shaking nervous. Yeah. We went to we went together to the uh premiere of uh The Princess Bride in Toronto, Canada. And it was called the Festival of Festivals and that's where they premiered the movie. They had the red carpet. They did the whole nine yards. When Andre sat in there, and I'm sitting next to him and I'm watching him, and all the other people in the movie. Now he's being judged by movie critics and other people, not wrestling fans, right? He yeah. was shaken. Really? I mean, shaken. Yeah, oh, wow. because he'd never been judged, right? But um, when we returned to, and then he was so happy when they was uh, the standing ovation, everything he got when we left, and he was so happy when we uh, returned to the uh, the ranch in Ellery. He had received, I don't know how many scripts, some other, uh, oh, because
8: good. they had no
2: yeah. idea that he could act. Right. Yeah. And he said, no, that's it. I just wanted to prove I could do it. I'm not a big, dumb wrestler. So uh-huh. there you go.
0: Were you on the set for that, the, all the shooting when he was there?
2: No, no. Nope. Got there at the start and then I left and then I picked him up when he came back from doing the stuff in England. Uh-huh. And, uh, next time he went over there, he had his, uh, back surgery. So
0: I tell you, that is to this day, one of my all time favorite movies. And he was, he was fantastic in it. I mean, you, how could you, Oh, you, you, you got in love with Andre in that movie.
2: You did. Yeah. And, uh, it was, it was a perfect spot, uh, a perfect writing for him. And, uh, in the, and he pulled it off and I, I think that was, uh, that was in uh, the to, uh, and I don't follow all that stuff, so yeah. one of the top 25 films ever made. And it's still, to this day, the greatest family picture to watch. And even for adults, right? To watch it, uh-huh. you're entertained through the whole thing. It's great. That's- the humor and the, the setup, everything's terrific. So, uh, yeah, was he was really happy with the turnout on that.
0: Do you remember what you're, you know, you're really the, the first big match, the one that really... Uh, When you look back, that that was the one that uh, really stands out to you initially, one of your first ones.
2: Well, you know what, uh, Sean, uh, uh, that's not fair because I've done so many championship matches with so many guys through the years. Yeah, And like I said, that was 30-something years ago. So every one of them, I was privileged, believe me, and I got excited. So I remember some, I remember some funny ones. I remember some, uh, you know, like uh, um, they just interviewed me. It's 20 years this year since the uh, mankind undertaker, Hell in the Cell. And I oh, was the yeah. referee on that. Yeah. And you know what's unfair? And I'll just tell you, and we're on the phone, right? You call me, you ask me. So they called me from the studios and they said, so what were you feeling right then? <laughs> that was 20 years ago. Right. I can't, right. you know, I do remember this. I told him I was having, uh, I was having a heart attack through the whole match because when I spoke to, uh, uh, Mick and Mark, they told me the, the spots I needed to know, but I didn't know they were going to do some of that stuff. And then when, it, uh, when, when it broke down, now I'm going, oh my God, oh my God, is he going to make it to the finish or what's going on? And now, because you're always communicating back and forth, but uh, I'll never forget after he went through the top of the, yeah. after he threw him off through the announce table, then he dropped down through and he's crawling to the corner. And then Taker climbs back down, he gets in the ring and he goes, see if he's breathing. <laughs> and I get over to Foley and, um, and his nose is up. I mean, his uh, tooth is up through his nose. He's bleeding from his eyes, his ears, and everything. So, uh, you know, there's a little uh, grab that you can do to see if he wants to keep going or should I just, you know, stop. Right. Oh, uh, and, he, and he looks up and he goes, where are the tacks? He forgot where the tacks, which, uh, where they were left under the ring. So I told him, and then am doing my hocus pocus in the ring. And I get back to Undertaker. He said, "Let's take it home." I said, oh, "He even I think Badder and I like he couldn't believe it. This guy had that in him, yeah. and uh, he dumped you know he dumped the tacks all over the ring. And uh, then he made a move and Undertaker reversed and tombstoned him. And uh, I think they picked about forty tacks out of my arm from counting the one, two, three. Yeah. And boy was I I was so happy." that everyone lived through that thing and it was over. Well, yeah, yeah, I
13: mean, there were points
0: in that match that you must have really been saying, this this is insane, what this oh, guy is. Oh,
2: it is. And, and when he threw him off the top, I thought he was going to reverse something and they keep playing on the top and then climb back down and get into the... But when he threw him off the top, down through the announce uh, thing, I, I had no idea that was coming. And that's when I almost threw up. And I'm going, oh, God so you know i I think um I think fig- I think it might have been Sa's put have inside of Bruce Birchard up in the gorilla, saying, "See if he's okay, see you know, because yeah. there's signs that you give of someone's right. i mean because you you do something like that, you're hurt bad, man, you know, but yeah. hey well,
8: think, that's why it's
2: legendary, and yeah. uh, I was just glad to be part of it, and I love both those guys, and that that set the uh. That's at the bar for Hell in a Cell matches.
0: That's for sure. That's no. for sure. Honestly, uh, Tim White is one of my all-time favorite people that I uh, have the great fortune to work with in the WWF. And I love the the, the story about uh, that Tim tells of his first meeting with Andre because basically Andre wanted to kill him. And here they became uh, just incredible friends. And Timmy was there uh, throughout his career, and his one of his greatest regrets is that he wasn't there when Andre passed. And uh, just just an incredible person, Tim White is is awesome, and I'd love to get him back on uh, prime time with Sean Mooney because he still has uh, so many great stories. Uh, we recently also had another opportunity to have a former WWE referee on the podcast, Jimmy Corderas. Now, if you're a fan of the WWF, WWE, uh, you've seen this guy in the ring. Uh, He had a career that spanned more than two decades with the company, and he was in the ring for some of the greatest matches in the history of the WWE. He was also in the ring when one of the the worst tragedies happened. I'm talking about the death of Owen Hart. But before we get to that, uh, let's hear from Jimmy talking about an incident that happened at WrestleMania 4. So in '88, <laughs> I mean, this is moving along pretty quickly here. I mean, you're at WrestleMania. I mean, that's yeah. gigantic, and uh, you're only conscious for a, a short part of it. Can you tell that story? <laughs> what the hell happened? Again, my first WrestleMania, super yeah. stoked. Oh my it. god! Yeah.
14: Trump Plaza, and I'm doing the Intercontinental Championship match with Honky Tonk Man versus Brutus the Barber Beefcake, and this is. Uh, there's a scenario where Brutus gets honky in the, in his sleeper, which is his finishing hold. Jimmy Hart jumps up on the apron and I argue with him to get down. And when I turn around, he blasts me in the back with the megaphone and I take a faceplant. and, you know, they go to the finish. Yeah. Um, now the rumor out there for a long time was that Jimmy knocked me out with the megaphone, which is not yeah. true. I knocked myself out because as I faceplanted, I wanted it to look, it's, it's WrestleMania. You want to look good. Yeah. Uh, my, my chin hit the canvas and I guess it hit that right spot and it just, that was it. I was, it was really, yeah. Knocked myself out. Um, you know, um, Joey apparently came out and started shaking me and says, Hey, you're supposed to call for the bell now. I don't remember that. And <laughs> the only thing I remember is that Joey and Danny Davis dragging me back. and That was it.
0: Yeah. So you, but you,
14: how long do you think you were out? Uh, I had no idea. I, to be honest with you, I didn't know I was out until they, <laughs> told me. you know what I mean? I said, yeah, you okay? I said, yeah I'm fine. Why? He said, okay. But <laughs> how many fingers am I holding up Two. what's wrong with you? You know, um, you guys. are. Okay? Yeah.
0: I can't I because I'm trying cool. to remember how they finished that match. You You're out. Joey, yeah, basically- Joey Morella runs out. Right. And yeah. so how did they, how did they finish it? It,
14: it, basically Joey called for the disqualification because <laughs> I wasn't a wish to do so.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah it, 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 certainly a, a WrestleMania moment never to be forgotten. That's for sure. Yeah.
14: Uh, uh, I, I wish I could remember it, but I yeah. have to remember it on video now. <laughs>
0: yeah. I know you were the referee in that match uh, in May, May 23rd, 1999. Uh, at the over the edge for uh, the match with uh, Owen, who uh, you know, I, I know that you worked with him a lot. I, I had a chance to spend a lot of time with him. I thought he was one of the the nicest people I ever met, and that just in wrestling, I, I really thought he was such a great guy and genuinely uh, fun loving. And you know, and as a, a guy that was a big river, but you know what was different with him, Jimmy, is that they were they were fun natured. You know, it wasn't like he was, it was mean spirited, you know, and they were gen- God, just so funny the way he, he exactly. did. The, yeah.
14: Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't malicious. It wasn't like uh, locking your bags together or doing anything. Just right. di- Razoring your
0: clothes or your pants or something. He
14: just you was know, really. It was like calling up your hotel room, claiming to be the pizza guy in the lobby waiting for yeah. you to come get your, you know, stuff like that. It was, uh, uh you know, I, if you ever talk to Brett, you know, Brett tells a story about Stu uh, Owen calling Stu and claiming to be Reggie Parks, who is an old school wrestler and one, and challenging Stu to a fight and, you know, Stu getting all wired and stuff like that. It was, it was, even in the ring, Edge and Christian versus uh, Owen Hart and Jeff Jarrett, we were in Germany and it was a tag match and we did the old Owen, you know, pulling a foreign object out of his tights. and and hitting Edge with it behind my back and yeah. Edge selling. We're doing the back and forth where he's passing it to Jeff and I'm checking and Christian's complaining and Edge is selling like he's getting hit with uh, brass knuckles and stuff. And we do we, we finally get to the end spot where he's got it hide, hidden under his armpit. And yeah. I start to make him raise his arm. When he raises his arm, it's a napkin. Edge is selling like he's hitting him with a ton of bricks. And when the yeah. napkin's floating to the ground,
0: everybody just broke out laughing. It was like, it, it, he, he's so much fun. He was yeah, so much. fun. He really was uh, just a, an awesome individual. And, and I always, uh, I just thought he, he could have done so much more with the WWF, uh, be, but you know, with the blue blazer. I mean, he was just so talented. I just think it was just a matter of time. I thought before he would find like the right, what was the right place for him? Cause he was so good in the ring. And and uh you know, such a gifted athlete too. And and he could, you know, he had he had it all, I thought. And it's it's just a damn shame uh what happened. And uh taking you back to that day um and that match, you know, it seemed that and we see it even today now, they just they, these things that surround the match are just getting get bigger and bigger. And mm-hmm. do you remember at the time, and I don't know how cued in you were to what they were going to do with this. But do you remember thinking like, wow, that's uh, that's kind of dangerous or just that's the way things were being done then and it wasn't that unusual?
14: Uh, pretty much the latter because, uh, I, you know, at the time Sting was doing something similar in WCW, yeah. uh, repelling from the ceiling and stuff like that. So um, for me, like, again, personally, for me, I couldn't do it because I have this fear of heights. So I wouldn't be able to do something like that, but I didn't, you know, it's, it's easy to say in hindsight, Oh yeah, they, they shouldn't have done it. It was dangerous at the time. You're not thinking like that. You're thinking, Oh, here, you know, this is part of the entertainment process of wrestling and it's, it's something that had been done before without incidents. So you, you don't, you don't think that anything this terrible would happen. So, uh, you know, it was just a rough day all around. It was a tragic accident that happened. And, and you know, it uh, obviously, you know, affected a lot of
0: people that day. Yeah. Well, and, and also, I mean, the WWF, all the time I was there, whenever Vince did something, it wasn't like they would go get somebody who really didn't know what they were doing. Uh, you know, I mean, you always felt like they had these true professionals, If they had pyrotechnics or anything. They brought people in that really knew what they were doing. Um, so I'm sure that there was a level of trust there that, and like you said, it was just a tragic accident. But um, from your perspective, tell tell me what happened that day. Uh,
14: see, I, I don't know the particulars, but from from where I was, basically before before that match was to take place, uh, they had a hardcore match um, uh-huh. Al. Well, I want to say it was Al Snow and, oh boy, uh, Hardcore Holly, maybe, yeah. where they fought all over the place. There was like debris in the ring, broken tables and stuff like that. So um, I ran out for the match and, and also was helping him like, clear some of the debris from the ring, uh, kicking stuff out of the ring. And I was actually working my way towards that corner um, where Owen ultimately fell. And I was holding the top rope, kicking some stuff out. and um, I heard some you know, they had the um, the promo of the blue blazer playing on the screen mm-hmm. on the on Tron, and while we were cleaning up, and all of a sudden I heard something somebody yell. I didn't hear what. I just heard a yell. And in an instant, I felt something brush the side of my head, and the top rope snapped out of my hand and snapped back and hit me in the fingers and and first thing that came to my mind was, oh my god, the top rope just broke for no reason, right? Mm-hmm. So I, look, I'm, I'm looking around and the top rope is there, and then I turn and I see one lying in the ring, and I'm like, you know, like I'm, I'm not processing two and two. I'm like, what the hell is going on here?
8: Yeah, you
14: know. And so you know, I, his eyes were still wide open, but there's no response, and so I, I just started freaking out and calling Mark at the at the at the timekeeper's table, you know, calling for help, and, and that's basically what happened. I, from my standpoint, that's what I saw. That's all I saw, you know. And like, as far as what happened up there, I don't know. Uh,
8: yeah,
14: you know, it just uh, and then, uh, you know, they uh, they had they had me go along to the hospital just because I was like, I guess, in a state of shock, I guess, for lack of a better terms, so just to make sure that uh mentally I was okay I guess and I don't this is the funny part I the next day this was Kansas City and the next day we were in St. Louis and I still don't remember to this day going from Kansas City to St. Louis yeah it's just yeah it's just a blur in my mind I just don't remember it Uh, I don't remember traveling there and the next day I, I was talking to uh Jerry Lawler and Lawler said uh he said, you're okay? And I said, you know, as okay as I'm going to be. He says, my God, he says, you don't know how close you came. And I said, close to what? He said, he saw about the last 15, 20 feet of Owen's fall. And the first thing that he thought in his mind was uh, that he was going to fall on top of me. And I'm not uh-huh. trying to make this, appear. I'm just saying how close this was. And, and he couldn't tell that whether it was his arm or what that brushed against the side of my head. And that's what I felt. Wow. He said, if you'd have been a foot over, he said the tragedy would have been a lot worse. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. Well,
0: the death of Owen Hart remains one of the worst tragic uh, freak accidents to ever happen in the ring. Uh, Everyone I ever knew loved Owen Hart and his loss uh, tremendously affected many, many people. And that included another guest we had here on PTSM, Double J, Jeff Jarrett. I don't know what your relationship was prior to it, but you uh, hook up with Owen uh, Hart, and you guys really not just were did you know well in the ring together, you, you became very close.
15: And, and that was something, you know, I met Owen, he came to Memphis in 91, I think. And, yeah. you know, it, when, when he came, and I can remember just very spontaneously, because Lawler and Brett had, had their thing going on, uh, with the WWF slash E. Uh, and so me and Owen were the sidekicks quote unquote to the, to that story. But we, we had tag matches down in Memphis and, 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 and around the loop. Uh, But, um, but no, me and Owen immediately hit it off. And then by this stage of both of our careers, um, you know, he, um, married, had two kids and, and, uh, just you know a lot of similarities. and Owen was man, you know he 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 was obviously and anybody that knew him. Um, he obviously great prankster, great river. yeah, just the, you know, I've said it, and I always use this opportunity if you if somebody asked me about Owen, it's just the human being. he he I was attracted to the 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 integrity and the the realness and the humanness, and that that you know, I could get in a car with him and we could drive, you know. 15 miles or or three or 400 miles. You didn't have to, you didn't have to talk about wrestling. And if you did talk about wrestling, we, we were both sons of promoters. And so we looked at it from a different perspective and had funny stories about our old men or territory days or territory stories, but you know, just on life in general uh, and Owen really, really was a wise man. And I, I, I just always enjoyed so much about traveling with him and, and, you know, and, and the, you know, they, he's a legendary river in Frankfurt but he's also oh, gotcha. a, a, a legendary, um, he could go on tours and, and, and spend zero money. And I was <laughs> marveled at, at how, you know, I thought I could, uh, 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 save some money on the road. He put, he made me look like a dead gum, uh, 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 a moron spending too much money, but no Owen Owen just had so many. but he had perspective on life
0: yeah. He knew
15: that he'd rather save a buck Uh for 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 back home as opposed to spending on the road.
0: Yeah, he was thrifty as they say he,
15: Yeah, to say the least
0: <laughs> that's a nice way to put it, uh, it is. But you know, I, I that's the thing. I remember Owen. I mean, he was just the nicest guy in the world but what I really, uh I wish more people knew that side of him and, and he it's, uh, was gone too soon, um, that I think he would have had a tremendous career. Uh, but what I loved about him is that, you know, he, like you mentioned, he was a great, he was a big ribber. but they were, they were funny ribs. They were yeah. they weren't yeah. cruel, you know, you know, you know, you know how some of the ribs go, but yeah. just some of the stuff that he did was just hilarious. I mean, just, uh, <laughs> you have any that stand out to you? Cause I, what story hey. that I always love to hear is the one about when uh, Hacksaw was up in his hotel room and that they, they told the story at the hall of fame. Yeah. Uh, Brett did when he said, <laughs> you know, once you get your ass down here and you know, whatever, uh, when he was trying to find a gym you know? so, yep. and he did that stuff all the time. It was just funny, but when yeah. any stand out to you that are, you can tell well, us Well, and,
15: and again, I'll, I'll leave that to the hall of fame stage. I don't like to tell cause there's so many of them, but, the spirit of his ribs—that's yeah. and that's where yeah. you know the the thing that a lot of people gloss over—and there's two things to me uh, about Owen are you know that, that yeah he's a river, but but his ribs were not only just hilarious, right. but but they actually made people around it made you not take life so serious in yeah. a real good way, yeah. very 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 not mean spirited. And then the other thing is is I you know a lot of people oh Owen's, Owen Owen. In ring ability, um, yeah. I, I believe that 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 there's a lot of things that go his in ring ability. He was incredibly athletically gifted, and mm-hmm. and been around the business, timing, um, just very very you know. And WrestleMania 10 against Brett, um, he was just man Owen. Um, he, he was just really, really, really uh, super good, and a lot of times that gets lost. As well, uh, people obviously remember it for the tragic action, right. but, uh, yeah. and, and they in the ribbing, but his in-ring ability is incredible.
0: Yeah. And, and you know, and you mentioned, uh, that tragedy I mean, it was at the over the edge, uh, event and, uh, people talk about uh, many, many times about that, you know, that you did a, a promo or you had to cut a promo and go out and do a match. Uh, and I, and at that time, I think that, you know, people say it was just so much chaos. Nobody knew really what had happened, what his condition was. Uh, how did you get through that um, when, when uh, you know, they said a show must go on? Uh, that must have been one of the most difficult things you've ever had to do.
15: When when I say going through the motions, mm-hmm. that is something that that just strictly instinct because yeah. – I can, you know, me and Owen dressed in that building in a really, really small, you know, pay-per-view Sundays. There's, you know, every nook and cranny's filled with with wrestlers or production crates or whatever. And we'd Mm -hmm. found a a small locker room and I can remember him walking out and, um, uh, the dressing room and I was on after him. And, you know, I knew that I had a good 15, maybe even 20 minutes. And it was, literally minutes, uh, I hear somebody screaming, you're up, you're up, you're up. And I'm like, no, I'm not. And they go, yeah. And I can remember what? And I'm, you know, thank God my boots, you know, I was was essentially ready, but I had no idea. And I remember walking down the hall, they said he had an accident. It was, you know, nothing ever uh and and obviously in your wildest dreams could you know it's it's a blown out knee or or whatever just something so 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 trivial and and you get on set and to this day i haven't watched it back Um, uh but you know you you get on set and 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 then all of a sudden a mass of people come through and people are there's a gentleman on top of owen uh, doing uh, you know cpr
8: and, Mm. and, and,
15: and compressions and and it, yeah, and you know, so I'm told it, the look on my face, all of it, you know, it set in, and and, and I, I, you realize it, and then do the promo and go to the ring, and and I, that was the first, and and um, at the end of last year, for those who know, uh, they'll know what I'm talking about. those who don't, they don't know. But I, 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 I had some discussions, and, and as, as a part of a treatment that uh, that that was discussed very deeply and very privately. But I knew something was wrong then because uh, just the aura and the vibe and walking through the curtain after that match and the police car, they had it set up for me and God bless them. They did. And, you know, uh, I drove immediately to the hospital and I can remember one of the ER people walking out, meeting me and giving me the news. And it was just really, it's a, a it's a complete tragic, uh, in so many ways, in so many ways to this day, it is, as it affects people. But, uh um, you know, I like to remember uh, Owen, uh, the fond days and the good days, and and know that um, God's plan uh, is for him to understand, and some things we we'll, we're not supposed to understand.
0: Yeah. Well, and, and you mentioned that that uh, you uh, recently uh, were involved in in uh, rehabilitation treatment, and and you talk about uh, how that was something that you had held inside for all these years uh how did it hit you and what did that unlock as far as a lot of other things that were probably you hadn't dealt with
15: it it it, it was uh part of the industry that 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 it happened on a Sunday mm-hmm. um we're all on a Monday uh, go home go to the wait go to the funeral and go back to work that's not normal yeah. um that's that is it's not healthy it's not normal uh, and so there was a lot of things that, that, uh, that I learned about myself, learned about life, uh, it did last year and, 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 you know, I'll call it, uh, as they call it peeling back the layers of, 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 onion, mm-hmm. uh, of, 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 our soul and our psyche. It's not healthy. You know, you could call it stuffing. You can call it compartmentalizing. Uh, none of that's healthy, but you know, I talked at length. Uh, did a lot of good cries, uh, and just trying to understand, you know, exactly how all that affected me. And, you know, it was tough because, uh, you know, again, my family being around the business, Mm -hmm. uh, I, I understand that, you know, anybody literally in their right mind that would, would, would think that it was anyone's true fault. Now, um, easy for me to say sitting on this side of it, but I've been around enough things in my life to know that accidents happen. Uh, yeah. Could everybody be a, been, been a more careful? Yeah, absolutely. On, on so many levels, but, mm-hmm. but it, it, it is a truly tragic situation that happened. Uh, and everybody that was a part of it that was dealt that hand and everybody dealt with it differently. I chose to deal with it. Uh, by by not discussing it, not talking about it, uh, moving on in the most positive light, always uh, talking, um, you know, glowingly, and never wanting to go to that dark side and talk about those kind of issues uh, that that happened and went down, and being interviewed, and I can remember, and I still believe this, you know, Vince McMahon, solely Vince, nobody else. Uh, not Linda, not any of his inner circle at that time. Nobody. It rests squarely on his shoulders, and he had a decision that was wrong, regardless of the decision he made. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and and no I,
0: right he, answer. You know. No
15: right. And I know yeah. Vince well enough to know he knew that. Wow.
0: Uh,
15: and and so that's tough. Uh, but he took it. Um, you know, obviously it, it it got into a you know really unfortunately litigated part of. Of, of life, but, um, you know, he, uh, he put his best foot forward and, and kept on, kept it on and, and, you know, my hat's off to him and his family because that, you know, no, nobody wanted, I mean, it's just, it's just truly tragedy, uh, yeah. and, and, and how that's unrolled, uh, 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 you know, now 19 years in, it, it's still, it's still a tragic as much today as it ever been, but I just hope everybody, uh, like myself, because I know, that I feel much better about the situation today than I did this time last
0: year. Um, well, and, and could, Go ahead. No, I'm saying in a broad stroke though, and you mentioned that specific incident and that's something that triggered in you, but you know, isn't that the business? It's a very solitary business and, and uh, it, it is, I don't know if there's a tougher business on the planet. The ones that, that are successful in, in doing this podcast to tell you and and talking to people that have become successful, they are incredible human beings because to what they endure in this business i don't know if there are many that are like it i'm sure there are but uh but the broad stroke there there the, isn't that though the sense that you know you get you keep going you got to have the you have this this skin that's not leather it's like you know kevlar to be <laughs> able to succeed
15: well and that is something that is you know i've got Lots and lots of friends in the music yeah. business and, and obviously growing her up around sports and I've got friends in in, in, in professional sports and yeah. we are neither and sports have a season and uh, rock stars and country music stars go on to a tour and then they come home. Um, you know, I don't care if they say they're on tour for three years. They take the winners off most of the time. You know, there there is a ebb and flow. Our business is... You know, for the last 20-something years, Vince McMahon and his organization have produced Monday Night Raw. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is a incredible grind like no other business. You know, it, it, it's like uh, the, the nightly news. They even have a break on the weekends with weekend anchors. Yeah. Um, the, you know, it, it, that's the truth. It, it, yeah. you know, what what other form of entertainment tours 52 weeks a year and puts out Raw, puts out SmackDown, you know, however you want to say it, 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 it it's just an ever, uh, it, it's a grind. It, yeah. And I grew up in the era that you didn't miss anything,
0: ever. Yeah, yeah the it, biggest you, night after, of WrestleMania is is Monday, the next night.
15: <laughs> you
0: know, it that stops.
15: That's week one. Yeah. And week 52 yeah. Is, yeah. is the night before, and right. you start all over. And that is a grind. And that is something that, uh, quite frankly, Will eat you up and spit you out if you're not aware of that, and uh, I'm grateful that I'm aware much more so now today than I ever was.
0: Well, and you mentioned that that uh, you uh, recently uh, were involved in in uh, rehabilitation treatment, and and you, you talk about uh, how that was something that you had held inside for all these years. Uh how did it hit you, and what did that unlock as far as a lot of other things that were probably you hadn't dealt with?
15: It, 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 it was uh, part of the industry that 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 it happened on a Sunday, mm-hmm. um, raw on a Monday, uh, go home, go to the wake, go to the funeral, and go back to work. That's not normal. Yeah. Um, that's that is that's not healthy. It's not normal, uh, and so there was a lot of things that that. Uh, that I learned about myself, learned about life, it uh, did last year, and, and and you know, I'll call it, uh, as they call it, peeling back the layers of, of, of onion, mm-hmm. uh, of, of, of our soul and our psyche, it's not healthy, you know, you could call it stuffing, you can call it compartmentalizing, uh, none of that's healthy, but, you know, I talked at length, uh, did a lot of good cries, uh, and just trying to understand, you know, exactly how all that affected me and you know it was tough because uh you know again my family being around the business mm-hmm. uh, I, I understand that you know anybody literally in their right mind that would 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 think that it was anyone's true fault now um easy for me to say sitting on this side of it but i've been around enough things in my life to know that accidents happen um, yeah could everybody be, but been, a, been a more careful? Yeah, absolutely. On, on so many levels, but mm-hmm. but it, it it is a truly tragic situation that happened, uh, and everybody that was a part of it that was dealt that hand, and everybody dealt with it differently. I chose to deal with it uh, by by not discussing it, not talking about it, uh, moving on in the most positive light. Always uh, talking, um, you know glowingly and never wanting to go to that dark side and talk about those kind of issues uh, that that happened and went down and being interviewed, and I can remember, and I still believe this. You know, Vince McMahon, solely Vince, nobody else, uh, not Linda, not any of his inner circle at that time, nobody. It rests squarely on his shoulders, and he had a decision that was wrong regardless of the decision he made.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
15: and, and, and no I,
0: right answer, you no know,
15: right. And I know yeah. Vince well enough to know he knew that. Wow. Uh, and, and so that's tough. Uh, but he took it. Um, you know, obviously it, 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 got into a, you know, really unfortunate litigated part of, of, of life. But, um, you know, he, uh, he put his best foot forward and, and kept on, kept on. And, and, you know, my hat's off. To him and his family, because that you know, no nobody wanted. I mean, it's just it's just truly tragedy, uh, yeah. and 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 how that's unrolled. Uh, 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 you know now, 19 years in it, it's still it's still as tragic as much today as it ever been. But I just hope everybody uh, like myself, because I know that I feel much better about the situation today than I did this time last year. <laughs>
0: But Jeff Jarrett is another great wrestler who has ridden the ups and downs of what can be a very cruel and unforgiving business. I'm talking about the the business of professional wrestling. And yet, uh, he is someone who has always found a way to somehow make it through it and come out in even better shape than he was before. And uh, that is uh, certainly true of our next guest here on PTSM, Mark Merrill. Um But few have ridden high and highs and lows that uh, Mark experienced um to finally find his true calling in life, uh, he had, you know, in a ways, in a way, go through all that to, to find what he was really supposed to do, and uh, what an incredible ride he had along the way. Uh, here's uh, some of my favorite moments from my conversation with Johnny B. Bad, or rather, Mark Merrill. Us about that relationship though with with Rena. Everybody knows, of course, is Sable. Mm-hmm. Uh you were married in ninety-four. How did you first meet? And then how did that uh end up that you guys you know, got together and were married?
16: Oh gosh, it was really funny. Um, we were wrestling in Jacksonville, Florida, and I think I was with um I know I was with Marcus Badwell, trying to think who else was. Oh, I was with it was DDP. Yeah.
0: Were, Me, of course. <laughs> yeah, said,
16: we're, we're traveling together and we stopped uh-huh. at a restaurant. It was like a, a buffet. And um we we used to play this game, <laughs> so stupid, but uh I not even admitting this, it was called Give Her Your Best Line, where oh, if boy. I said to Marcus, Marcus, we see a nice looking girl or something, we go, Give her your best line. And then you'd have to try to come up with something to either get a date or meet them or get a phone number or something, you know? And most of the time we just did it, we'd laugh our heads off, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I think it was my turn and, and, uh, um, buff and DDP. We, oh, we were in line in the buffet. And all of a sudden, at the end of this line, there was this beautiful girl. And, uh, we're all, I, we're all like, Oh, you see that girl over there. And, uh, DDP and Buff go, give her your best lie. I go, Oh man. So now the pressure's on, Well, what I did, I try to want to be really creative. So <laughs> creative. It worked when I was in elementary school. What yeah. I did was when I came to the, um, uh, the 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 where you cash out after you order your food and you cash out at the end of the the uh, buffet line, um I, I gave this lady a note. It says, "Do you like me? Yes or no." no. So, but the boxes, so
8: stupid, right?
16: <laughs> and I said, "See that girl at the end of the line there? When she comes by, I give it to her and tell her it's for me." So sure enough, she gave her the note, and the, the and Rena didn't really sell it. She just kind of took the note. Well, about. I don't know. Fifteen minutes later, we were getting just about getting ready to leave, and the waitress comes over to me and hands me this note, and she wrote in maybe. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> so before I left, I said, um, "You know, hey, we're wrestling in Jacksonville tonight," and she knew who we were. She just never led on to it. Right. And I left her, her and her friends tickets to come in, and, and that's when we first started, um, you know, hanging out together, and and eventually. Um, you know, she she would become my my wife, and I'd I'd adopt her child. And
0: do you remember that date, that Christmas when uh, what, what was it, two thousand three? Yeah, two thousand three,
16: and wow. um, it was. Uh, I, I remember just had no place to go, and what I did was I drove to uh, Cocoa Beach, Florida. I was living in 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 the Orlando area. I drove to Cocoa Beach, Florida, and I remember just sitting under a pier. On christmas day you know day you uh-huh. celebrate with family and friends and the tree and presents and music uh-huh. and laughter and food and i was all alone and i just remember man i, I once made it i once had it all i was once rich <laughs> you know and now no mom or dad to call no my little brother and sister are gone
8: Jeez.
16: my my ex-wife is gone and uh we weren't even divorced then it was 2003 we got we yeah. ended up getting divorced a year later 2004 yeah. but she was already gone you know from from our home and our my life she already made the move but oh, man I, I gotta tell you sean the greatest gift though is not having the resentment or bitterness or un, especially unforgiveness man if you don't forgive right. you forgive or you relive and yeah. uh i i can actually talk about it and it sure, there's a sadness about it but there's not like a Uh, regret or um, because now you look at all the the blessings that happened out of that situation
8: and
16: and so many lives are being changed and saved so if I could ever say anything to my ex-wife is two words thank you
0: Mark Merrill what a truly inspirational person and uh, you know why he's so effective when he goes and talks to young people he now travels the country Speaking to uh, kids about making good choices and staying away from drugs and alcohol, and uh, he's on the road uh, for many, many dates out of the year, visiting high schools. He goes to churches. He, you know, talks to uh, many, many people, and has quite a foundation, quite an organization that he's put together. But um, I saw Mark recently at uh, at Wrestlecade, and it was just awesome. It was the first time I really got to meet him in person because, uh, you know, from our conversation. And uh, it was really awesome to talk to him, and he's still everything. He's as busy as ever. Um, now it's time to move on to our, our next guest. And when I first met Dylan Postel, a uh, rather hornswoggle, I told him I thought he was a trailblazer in the business along the lines of Sensational Sherry. Now, as can you might imagine, as you might imagine, he looked at me like I was out of my mind. But once I explained to him what I meant. I, feel, I still think that he thought I was out of my mind, that I was crazy. But seriously, Dylan really was the first midget, as they were referred to, uh, to cross over in the mainstream uh, into the mainstream roster of the WWE. That is an incredible accomplishment uh, to become a true WWE superstar. And uh, you know, what he did for little people is what I felt that in, in many ways, uh, along the lines of what Sensational Sherry did for women with uh, in professional wrestling. I'm not talking just with the WWE and, uh, you know, it's true. I mean, he really deserves a lot of credit and he still refers to himself as a midget. I know that that's not politically correct to a lot of people, but he's proud of the fact of what he's done. And here's part of our conversation. Um, the one that I had with Hornswoggle on PTSM. And, and, And things just seem to happen one after another, um, this whole thing with uh, you being the uh, the bastard child of, of Vince McMahon, how uh, did you? You must have thought when that idea first came to you, uh, or they came to you, you were must have thought it was a rip.
17: Bruce Pritchard, our our good friend Bruce Pritchard, yeah. uh, he was the one. who was in Green Bay. Um, I'll never forget it. He goes, I, I was. They had a rehearsal, and everyone was going to be around the ring, and we were going to go. Oh, everyone was going to go over kind of that promo and all that. Yeah. And uh, he goes, hey, give me your phone. And I go, excuse me? He goes, give me your phone right now. I go, no. He goes, Dylan, you will want to give me your phone, please. Go, all right. I give him my phone. He puts it in his pocket. He goes, you'll have this after the show. I go, no, why? He goes, you're the son. I go, What? And then he goes, you're the son. <laughs> I, go, I go, no, I'm pretty sure it's Kennedy. He goes, nope, it's you. And I, wow. go, and I said, this will be fun. Yeah. <laughs> he goes, well, you think so? I go, yeah. yeah. I said, uh, and I asked Bruce, and I again, I kind of a cool thing. I said, hey, can I, can I text one person? And he goes, oh, okay. I go, I want to text my dad. Can I please leave tickets for him? to be here tonight he goes of course i said you can watch me text him and all i texted my dad was hey doing something pretty cool tonight could you please be here and uh he brought my grandpa who was my biggest fan biggest fan ever
0: oh man
17: i left them two tickets and they uh they came that night
0: you know, you think about when they were cooking up this this angle, and of course it had been in the works, I'm sure. And I could just see uh someone like you know, like Pat Patterson saying, Oh papa, you oh you can wait, this is gonna be fantastic. You know, I mean just when they yeah. when they pop put put that idea in there because nobody else would have made that work. Uh it had to be something shocking. It had to be something that, you know, Vince couldn't stand learning. I'm pretty
17: uh, pretty sure it was still to this day, I'm pretty sure it was supposed to be Kennedy um yeah. really am uh but I, I uh i'm glad i'm very 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 yeah. very glad it was me
0: <laughs> again again the yeah. luck of the irish
17: luck of the irish man <laughs> luck of the fake luck of the polish and german brother <laughs> yeah.
0: you got to work on that irish uh that irish brogue son. i've,
17: I've gotten along, along this far without it I'm, I'm yeah. Like, uh, yeah at least
0: <laughs> exactly. yeah. but what was that what was that whole experience like i actually watched the whole uh reveal again today with
17: with sandman staying in the ring until he (laughs) had to until they had to ask him to leave because he goes ah i was a champion ecw yeah like okay Uh, um it was you know it was the coolest thing ever um again i'm a six-year-old wrestling fan at heart Mm -hmm. going being in the ring with Vince McMahon every week, sometimes twice a week on you know Raw and SmackDown. And the thing I always kind of regret, the one thing I regret about that whole thing was I didn't really like, I was so intimidated to really like ask him anything about like business stuff or past stuff. Like, hey, what was this like? Or hey, what can you tell me about this? I was so intimidated that I never really asked him anything. And TV days are so crazy as is. But we had downtime of just chatting and where I could have, but I never did. And that's the one thing I kind of regret. But as a whole, man, that was, that was, that was the, the, I think, I truly feel that was the highest point in my career.
0: Yeah. Well... That little thing with the D- Degeneration X was pretty good too. That little but thing we'll with D you know, that
17: those those <laughs> two young boys, DX, yeah. that's okay yeah. too. Yeah. But
0: but uh, I, you know, I, I I don't know how uh, you talk about intimidated and and you know what a perfectionist Vince McMahon is. I how did you even perform and did it take a few of those matches, uh, or did you just say, uh, you know, I just going to go with it. I mean, it didn't, uh, how did you handle that initially?
17: I think I just kind of went with it and just kind of thought, all right, if there's one per, like I'm not going to, I'm not, if I mess up in front of him, it's the worst person to mess up in front of, but I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to, there's no do overs when it's, when it's raw and it's live. Yeah. Yeah. People
0: don't understand uh, that just the, and, and I, I just remember the pay-per-views, you know, the yeah. live pay-per-views and, and you really do have to put your, I would just put myself in a mindset that it's just another show Mooney and just get out there.
17: I, um, the, the backstages, Vince always loved to do them live too.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
17: Gave me like less chance of messing up, I guess. <laughs> Cause if I knew if I did mess up, it was only the one take that we, you know, we only have that one shot. So I couldn't. I couldn't. I had to do my best to not mess up. And it's. Just, I think the biggest thing too was when uh, there was a thing with Finley and Vince. You know, later in the in the in the program where Finley was gonna hit Vince with a shillelagh, and Vince told him, "All right, fit, hit me with it. Hit me with a tough guy out there. All right." And he it lobbed in. Him so hard, he, <laughs> lobbed, he he had a knot on his head. So we got. <sighs> back we got to the back and vince was like, oh, that was great <laughs> Sick. And it, was, it was like it was it was he loved it because yeah. it looked great on television and he just it was great and and it was it was the crazy thing is is i have a pinfall victory over vince mcmahon on, on <laughs> you know and and i think i did research and stone cold if he has one if he has any it's like one and oh. i have like I'm one of the few people that has one over, Stone
0: over. over Vince. Yeah. we well, see, uh, you and you and Vince, uh, you and Vince and, uh, I mean, Stone Cold have a lot in common when it comes to that, but, <laughs>
17: but <laughs> we, you know, I, I, I think he made a bit more than he, me in the long run, but we have, we pretty much have the same career.
0: Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that was awesome. And, 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 um, you know, cause most people have been around Vince, they see backstage, you see him in bits. I mean, he's, you know, he's in his office, is it, but, uh, how did you work out these matches? Because I, I can't imagine him uh, being there standing in the ring or whatever, saying, okay, then we do this or do that, or that? I mean, it was was it kind of like just go with it, or did he take the time?
17: No, he uh, took the time. He always took the time. And uh, Fit fit would be the agent of a lot of them, obviously, because he was yeah. going to be right there anyways. And right. it was, I I said nothing. <laughs> I, I I'm pretty sure I just literally stood back and, whatever they all right i'll do that yep okay i'll do that whatever you want me to do i'm there and i everything just again but again i i wish i would have i wish i would have you know taken the the chance of uh you know asking things or giving input more at that point because
0: who knows but well what, the, would, uh, what would what would have been a uh, a couple of the questions like when you you think about boy, I wish I would have asked him this what would you, what if you would have had that opportunity i, uh, I you're in a car with him, he's driving a zillion miles an hour you think you're this could be your last ride in a car because he's going to kill us uh what would you
17: ask him oh if i if I were like like the one time I would ever ride I was on a plane I was on the the jet with him once it was they were going like from overseas back to the states, and it was a bunch of us and I remember all I wanted to ask him about was warrior, but I was like, no, I can't do that. I can't do that at all because that's, I know that relationship isn't there, but that was all I wanted to ask him about was just how it all ended and, and what happened and how was he as a, as a person. And, but I knew I couldn't obviously because of that relationship.
0: Well, hey, yeah, might've surprised you.
17: I still would never wanted to take that chance. Take that chance. <laughs>
0: Uh, I was always wonder what you, because you've mentioned that yeah. uh, you know Does what it, you would you ask them I, about the business, or
17: I don't know, I literally don't know, but I just wish I would have would have taken the time. Yeah.
0: What was the reaction to um, some of these groups, LPA, and, and uh, you know, for what you were doing? Did they did I they never. enjoy the fact that you were, uh, you know, making uh, headway for little people in the entertainment business, or did they look at it like, what are you doing?
17: I never heard anything like really. Side. No, never, never. I know, like, I remember Vince always said we can't say midget on television. And we got what I remember, like, it was said twice in the whole time, mm. um, the whole, like, the whole 10 almost 10 years I was there. But I remember it specifically because we can't say midget on television. Um,
0: so they were sensitive to it to an extent. Yeah,
17: yeah. <laughs> so I, yeah. Been
0: doing midget bowling. Um,
17: Yeah, I just, I don't, I, but I'd never heard of, you know, of LP, I'm sure they, I'm sure they didn't like it, how I was Mm -hmm. treated some of the time. But at that point, I'm on, again, I'm on television living my dream. I don't really give a damn what little people of America think at that point.
0: And, and I don't imagine that you saw yourself as this, uh, symbol either.
17: No, not at all. I'm just, you're just working. I'm Dylan from Oshkosh, Wisconsin on WWF, WWE television. Uh
0: Wow. That's awesome. Uh, yeah,
17: and I, th- I think I've always had that kind of mindset, for the most part.
0: Well, and I think that you know, in a lot of ways, Dylan, that is the way it should be. Uh, that the all, all you ever wanted to do was certainly be a superstar in the WWE, but to be treated as an equal uh, for whatever the ups and the downs that go with it.
17: It's it's the thing is is uh, the the crazy part is is. I started as Dylan from Oshkosh, just a little person that was a wrestling fan. And now after WWE, I'm back to Dylan from Oshkosh, who's a wrestling fan.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, and there's also there's, you know, there's all these damn shoot interviews out there that would uh you know, some had described you as a bully. But <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> yeah, but and, and I know you wear that proudly in a sense, but was it Uh, because you know, the encounters I've had with you uh, uh, and and I know that, you know, I I know Bruce very well. He speaks very highly of you, um, that it was, it was part of the world that you did. Was it one of those things that, you know, I can't let people ever walk on me. What was the mindset or were you just an asshole?
17: (laughs) No, I think, I I think it was, (laughs) it depends who you ask, of course. Um, I think it was everyone's hazing each other. And like, I, I mean, I was like, I was in school growing up. I wasn't going to let people bully me because of my stature and I just never dealt with it. So now I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to dish it out just as much as I'm going to take it too. I yeah. think.
0: Well, and that's how you survive in that world. I mean, you, yeah, you, know, you have
17: to, you have yeah. to. And, and I think people kind of took that as, you know, the, the bully thing. I just laughed because I, I love it because I, I was, I would bully Kali, the great Kali of all people. I would say, yeah, uh, you can't speak English and that yeah. kind of thing to him. And this is a seven foot three guy that, you know, a, a midget is bullying around. So it's just, it's, it, I, I never took anything. And I don't think anyone else took anything too seriously.
0: Hornswoggle or rather Dylan Postel uh, should be very proud of what he accomplished during his more than 10 years as a superstar in the WWE uh, he may be a short person in stature, but he is one who stood very tall during his time in the WWE. Uh, still making appearances, and he's still out there working. And uh, really enjoyed uh, that conversation with Hornswoggle. So now uh, we're gonna—can you believe it? We're already to this point. We're wrapping it up as far as uh, our conversations go. Uh, and I wanted to do it with, uh, you know, the up and comers in the business. Now, as we've talked about many times here on the program about how this show has evolved and how I feel that, you know, any, any guest who can relate to, of course, the golden era, but, uh, those who paved the road and then others who have come after now that are now changing the business today, uh, certainly welcome here on primetime with Sean Mooney. And I know that, uh, you've enjoyed hearing from them. Um, So I wanted to wrap it up with the up-and-comers here in the business. You know, people who are now changing uh, the business. Um, Truly unique individuals who are controlling their own destinies uh, in the business of professional wrestling. And they include Marty Skrull, Nick Aldis, and a man who has never stepped into the ring, Conrad Thompson. Let's hear from all three. Many of the things that you guys are doing today i i think is is just reinvigorating every ounce of what is happening in professional wrestling these days and and giving people a real alternative um so with that because we're going to be talking about you know the nwa 70th anniversary but leading up to this and i know that you guys i don't know if it was a it was a plan or it was a natural organic thing that you guys have been building um but getting to all in and uh I know it's had, you've had a chance to to let it settle in now, but what happened in Chicago, uh, just outside of Chicago, I should say, at, at that event, as far as how, the impact that you've you've seen now on professional wrestling?
18: Yeah, um, it certainly a lot of it was organic, and and yeah. obviously we have obviously um, it has dominated uh, the conversation. You know, for for myself and for you know all the other sort of key players at that at that event, um, for you know several months before it, and and now you know following it, and and with good reason because uh, it was <clears throat> such a success um, oh. on on so many levels. I think that first and foremost, you know, credit where it's due. the the, the Bucks and Cody, you know, oh. drew that drew that house. They absolutely it was it was a testament to. Uh, a, a sort of real hunger from their fan base and a loyalty to them, especially Nick and Matt, who have spent many, many years cultivating this, you know, grassroots following that's now culminated in, in where they're at now. And, and you know, they're set to set to make some really serious money, which they absolutely deserve to make. And um, I think it was, you know, it, 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 in many ways, the fact that they sold those tickets so fast with no card was was such yeah. a really just a it was it was it was a message from the audience basically saying we're we're with you you know we we want to see we we want someone else to to have a big time event you know we we don't no i don't think I, i've heard a couple of people refer to it almost like as a protest vote you know and, and i don't agree yeah. with that because, yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah,
8: right.
18: because i think that what it what it really is is that fans just love the idea of being at some other big time event that isn't wwe you know and mm. that's Absolutely fine because you know, for for the, for all intents and purposes, with the exception of a handful of Ring of Honor shows and a handful of you know TNA shows over the last decade and a handful of uh, New Japan shows in the last couple of years, they haven't had the chance to be with with a, with a sort of real rabid audience and that in that big time feel without it being uh, you know WWE because they've they and they've seen the tokyo Dome shows and they've seen these mm-hmm. these shows overseas even you know even like t n a would would you know would draw big numbers in the u k for example we would do really well at Wembley and manchester and glasgow and stuff and I think that there was this there was almost this there there it was this realization with the audience here where they went hang on like we we can change this just by by going you know by yeah. by, by being part of it and and just kind of supporting it and um and then for us uh the the early, I want to the flirtation, I suppose, <laughs> started probably around. Um, I, it, it started around March or maybe February because they, they Ring of Honor, invited me to their big show in New Orleans that that piggybacked on WrestleMania, mm-hmm. um, and and they had me go out and just sit there, you know, sit in the front row, just to, and during during Marty match because Marty and I have been friends since we were teenagers, yeah, and it just planted the seed of like, oh, I wonder what's happening there and we just we just took our time with the whole thing and that and i think that that was what why we we got such a great response to the whole thing and why we've been able to carry it forward and why really when it came to the nwa 70th there was really no no choice but to do a rematch because the, because people were just so in love with the with the with the rivalry you know yeah. and they just saw this thing and went wow like what a great rivalry this is
0: tell me about the evolution of the villain how did that all come about because that's when you took off yeah,
19: I. Um, it's funny, I, I just, like I said, I took this time off after I hurt myself, and it's funny, um, Steve Austin uh, would always say, oh, you only learn how to, to work after you get injured, and I never really understood what he meant, and I kind of, not not suggesting I could work now, but I, kind
8: right.
19: of, I, I got it, like, afterwards, yeah. It's like, yeah, so uh, I, I, I kind of started to, uh, I kind of get it now, but uh, yeah. no, I took that time off, and I just, I, I'd been i'd been wrestling for quite a long time and you know i've had some frustrations and uh i had a bit of a i had a you know did a little spell in tna for a cup of coffee which was a bit of a flop um Mm -hmm. and so you know you get a bit disheartened and everything else and and i was just thinking you know what can i do what can i do to stand out i was thinking you know in my head when you're younger it's like oh what moves can i do to stand out and everything else how can i but then i was looking at myself i was like marty you you know you're not going to be able to out flip this guy or do that you know you know you're Mm -hmm. not you're not six to five or anything else you need to work to your strengths and you need to come up with something to 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 make you stand out from the pack um so yeah i i I had this idea because at the time i was such a fun loving exciting you know personality and uh, everything else i said okay why don't we just turn everything on its head why don't i become basically an evil version of myself and uh yeah, and at the time I was get really getting into uh, Evil Doink. Actually, funny enough, uh, yeah. <laughs> Matt Bourne at the time, and uh, yeah, the I was like, Yeah, and I just loved that character and gimmick. And I was yeah. like, I mean, my my gimmick's very different to that, but that was some of the early inspirations. I was like, I'd like to be that like kind of evil villain type character, or, or like a or a Terry Funk, or the, you know, Roddy Piper. Um, so yeah, and at the time. When I first did it, it all kind of fell into place. It just, like, at the time, so I turned myself out a guy. And uh, at the time, I was just getting different stuff like r- r- written on my trunks and, um, like, different slogans and stuff on, on the back. And uh, a villain uh, in the UK was what we – in America, they call it heels and faces. But right. in the UK, we'd always call it blue eyes and villains. Blue eyes oh. being a good guy and a uh, villain okay. being, you know, the heel, obviously. So I just put a villain on my, on my trunks and uh, – you know, people like, oh, hey, villain, villain. It, it just kind of stuck. So I was like, oh, I guess I'm not part of my anymore. I guess I'm the villain, mighty scale. And then, but everything just kept evolving. I, and then one day I was about to go out for my match and I just saw an umbrella on the side. And I was like, ah, oh, maybe I should take the umbrella to the ring. That might work. Yeah. I don't know. So I took the umbrella to the ring. But in my head, again, it was kind of just me just being silly. Um, and then uh, I did that and I got to the back and I remember. One of the boys was like, hey man, that umbrella that thing you came up with, that was pretty cool. I was like, oh, thanks. And then I remember the next week I, um, I had a show somewhere up north and I had to fly there. And I was like, oh, I can't bother to bring an umbrella to the show. No way. So I didn't bother. And then I, once I got off the plane, and somebody tweeted me saying, oh, I can't wait to see Marty go tonight and his umbrella. So I was like, oh, huh? I better go to the shop and buy a better go get.
0: Better go get an umbrella.
19: <laughs> right. So. It just kind of stuck, and and for me, I feel like it's more of a uh, like a subconscious thing. That was I, you know, wrestling sort of abroad at the time, you know, or you know in Europe or everything else, and knowing yeah. I wanted to break out into America, Japan, I was like, oh, this is kind of like a uh, a subtle nod to where I'm from, the UK. You know, um, umbrella being pretty yeah. synonymous with. Uh, the UK, um, but yeah, that, that was it, it. All kind of evolved. Okay, maybe I could wear these big fur coats because you know I would just look like I could be idiot. And I like again, doing all these shows uh, for these years um, on the holiday camps kind of made me like not scared to try things. And another thing was, this, some of these shows we did in the camps. Um, yeah, I was gonna say in like, all those places right, where you got right. to do
0: all the yeah, that's yeah, awesome. And,
19: and, and some of the shows we did at the camps, they were like some of them were huge and have two thousand people, but some mm. of them would be ten people, and you'd rest yeah. them in front of complete silence, you know. And yeah. so, and, and anything you did, you would get a reaction. So, like, I was, I was never scared to be embarrassed because I was like, you know, yeah. it can't be any worse than that. So if I come mm. to the ring with a silly costume on or whatever, and yeah. people think I look stupid, I. I can't be embarrassed.
13: Well, I had the idea to do a wrestling podcast convention a couple of years ago when all of a sudden the NWA legends fan fest was no more. I had been going to that thing for years and years in early August in Charlotte, North Carolina. And then for whatever reason, they decided, Hey, that's enough. And we're not going to do it anymore. So I contacted the same hotel and tried to just run it the very next year because I really wanted an excuse to hang out with my buddies and, Hey, I can use this as a way to grow my podcast. I had a podcast with, uh, Rick Flair and one with Bruce Pritchard and I was trying to get Tony Schiavone on board and Eric Bischoff was doing one and I thought I could get Cornette and JR. And yeah. I just thought this could be a fun experience. The hotel wound up being booked. So I just sort of shelved the idea. And then as luck would have it, I ran into Cody at international baggage claim at the Atlanta airport in January. <laughs> <laughs> he was coming back from Wrestle Kingdom and I was coming back from a vacation and Wait a minute, this this all started at a baggage claim in Atlanta? Yeah. Yes sir.
0: <laughs> okay, go so on.
13: It's one of those deals where he wasn't sure if it was me and I wasn't sure if it was him because yeah. he was trying to be low key and he had a hoodie on and huh. I thought that was his wife Brandy but I wasn't going to be that guy and go step out and hassle yeah. strangers at baggage claims so we started DMing because that's what people do now in 2018 and Eventually, I said, hey, man, got an idea. Why don't you look for a convention partner? You need someone to be your WrestleCon to your WrestleMania. And if you did it with me, it would be podcast themed, and there wouldn't be any wrestling match competition. So he said, that's an interesting idea. How many conventions have you promoted? And I jokingly (laughs) said, the exact same number of super shows you've promoted. And he thought that was funny and, and said, okay, well, what's the idea? So I, I emailed him over a format and the original idea was it would be two days and, you know, maybe six or eight hours a day and it would be fun. And now mm-hmm. it's four days and mm-hmm. it's, you know, 15 hours a day. It's overwhelming how, how much momentum this thing has gotten and how big it's gotten. And it's, it's effectively ruined my life, Mr. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I have to tell you, those are three individuals you should keep an eye on, uh, Marty Skrull, also Nick Aldis and Conrad Thompson. Uh, I love uh, the way Conrad is so low key about everything, but uh, he is a man who is helping to change the business, as are uh, Marty and, and Nick. I would also put in there uh, Cody Rhodes and the Young Bucks, but um, uh, hoping we will have uh, them back on uh, prime time with Sean Mooney and, and several other guests who are changing the industry. Uh, what a year it has been, though. Isn't it incredible to think that uh, we just wrapped up a whole year of Primetime with Sean Mooney, but we actually started this podcast, it's hard to think about, in June of 2017. So that's uh, a lot of episodes, but we've got a lot ahead. And uh, before we talk about uh, more of that, uh, I promised a Q&A that uh, we were going to include in this podcast, uh, and we got a lot of questions. So we are going to answer as many as we can for this one, but uh, a lot of them you're going to be able to catch on our new adventure, our Patreon membership. And uh, folks, remember, uh, you can be a part of that. I'll give you some more details when we come out of the Q&A, but um, all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash primetime and sign up. But uh, before we get there, I'll tell you more details on it. But let's get to this Q&A because we we had a lot of questions. So I'm going to bring in our producer, Casey Jerome Beck, who's going to uh, serve up these questions. He he loves doing this. He loves torturing me. So uh, he gets another opportunity. Casey, are you
4: there? And, uh, you know, uh, did we get a couple of questions here and there? We got, and you won't believe this when I tell you, we got 37 questions. Wow! Uh, I didn't through I
0: just put this up what the night before, so yeah, that's
4: great. It's been up for two days now. So, and and you know, the one thing that I commented on when I saw it was these are amazing questions. These are like things that I'm curious about, and that you know, um, things that might not be known yet, you know. Um, yeah,
0: yeah. So I imagine you're going to save some really good ones for our new Patreon uh, members.
4: Oh, yeah. I've got some doozies in here that you're going to have to pay to hear because they're okay. they're too juicy. They're way too
0: juicy. Ooh, I like that. Okay, juicy. but uh, let's serve up the ones that uh, that uh, you'd like to have me answer here during this very uh, special edition of Primetime with Sean
4: Mooney. All right, so we're going to kick it off on Twitter with uh, Joe... Prenu- f- forgive me for mispronouncing his last name, Aguinado? <laughs> okay.
0: It's hard to say. aguinaldo Okay. Yes. Uh,
4: <laughs> during the taping of Edge and Christian's show that reeks of awesomeness, were mm-hmm. you not cold? Were you not cold taping without pants? I think he deserves some sort of medal for that.
0: Well, that's uh, that's a good question because anytime uh, you're without pants, there's always that fear of uh, you know uh, braving <clears throat> the elements. Or, uh, in many ways you know what I'm talking about you want to keep the boys uh, nice and warm uh, but and we did film this back east which uh, knows uh, you know that the climbs can be a bit chilly but when we filmed this it was during a time of the year when it was uh, very nice out it was uh, no problem taking my pants off <laughs> and uh, and uh, you know wandering around Stanford uh, as we did, and it, it, I'll tell you a quick story on that because can, you can imagine. Not only did I look ridiculous, I had these uh, boxers on. If you've seen the episode, that had hearts all over them, um, but the rest of the crew that was with us, uh, we had Carlito and and uh, you know Vicky Guerrero and Santino was with us, and uh, Nunzio, and we were all dressed as you know in this kind of pirate gear, weird, <laughs> and we were down at this dock. Where they had uh, Carlito's boat and a ship, they tried to pass it off as. But as we're all there and we're getting ready to shoot the scene, and we have these, uh, you know, rubber um, uh, daggers and, and uh, swords and all kinds of, you know, hats on and everything. And this these this group of people, these uh, two couples, are going to their boat to go out you know for the day and they come walking by and they're just looking at us like what the hell's going on? And I just looked at them, I said, uh we'll explain later when you come back if we're still here. And <laughs> I just broke up. But uh yeah, we looked we looked pretty strange. And I'll tell you what, I'm I will
4: put up some photos from that shoot.
0: Yes. I, I have many of those. So we'll well also why don't we put those on Patreon?
4: Wouldn't that be that great? that works for me. I, I love that. Who picked out your boxers exactly. by the way for that shoot?
0: Well, I had a I had a cho- I had a choice. They gave okay. me uh, a choice of three different kinds. Mm-hmm. Uh uh one had, you know, like kittens on them or something like that and uh I just uh, and another the one they didn't they were like plaid and I said, "Well, you know, if I'm going to do this, we might as well look at make it look really ridiculous." So then I chose the uh I picked them uh, the the ones with the hearts on them. Mhm. Yeah. Did you take your blue which shoe that day? Which I wasn't allowed to keep, I don't, which is really weird, don't you think? I mean, what are they going to do with those? <laughs> They're probably going to incinerate them. them. <laughs> oh, come on. You're probably on eBay somewhere <laughs> fetching hundreds of dollars. That's the scary thing. They probably are. Did you take your blue shoe that day? <laughs> <laughs> God, no. Oh. Uh, you know, I would never, much, not with my pants off, not uh, not in that setting. How but, much uh, fun uh, would that I have had been? Other, if I had other intentions absolutely
4: <laughs> all right uh matt burke on facebook asks who was the nicest person you ever worked with at the wwe
0: well i mentioned uh timmy white uh the referee as far as uh talent i mean i don't know if they're asking talent or or just people that i work with um yeah. there was so many great people that uh, i met along the way of course lord alfred hayes uh took Manders wing so did gorilla monsoon and you know uh Real monsoon too, and, and I'm, uh, I'm I'm i been in touch with his daughter. I'm tr- I, I'm trying to get her to come on to talk about uh, Gino and and his you know family was so important to him, and but genuinely, uh, he was one of the nicest people I ever met mm-hmm. at, at, with the company. He was just always such an awesome person. So I I mean if they're asking talent wise or you know uh, wrestler wise, um, you know Alfred and and, and uh, Gino were right there at the topping the list. But mm-hmm. there were some other great guys behind the scenes. Um, you know, Kerwin Sulfies was you know, one of the directors. Really great guy. Um, gosh, so many people. Kevin Granith, who was my producer, who produced all those Coliseum home videos. Mm-hmm. You know, and Kevin Dunn was really good to me. I know a lot, of, a lot of people. He gets heat from people outside of the business, but Kevin always took good care of me. Yeah. And uh, you know, so I just so met, met a lot of great people, and, uh, and and there were a lot. And thank goodness because. There's no way I would have made it, um, for as long as I did, if it wasn't for people like that, because it is, and as I mentioned before, it can be a very cruel and unforgiving business. And especially for somebody who doesn't know the business coming in, Mm -hmm. uh, they don't want you around, boy, you don't last and they can make it very difficult for you. But Mm -hmm. I had some good people looking after me.
4: Exactly. Especially, you know, like you said, you came in from the outside and you didn't know a whole lot about the business. Um, they could have they could have easily casted you aside and been like, who is this Mark, oh, you know, yeah. who's, who's yeah. coming in and well, and wants right. to wants to, uh, you know, do this job. They they could have they could have casted you aside right away and just yeah, no, you no, know, it, it
0: could have uh, happened very easily. But uh, you know, fortunately, I was I was wise enough to keep my mouth shut. And uh, you know, a lot of times, they, uh I don't want the saying is you know don't the, miss an opportunity to. Mm-hmm. Uh, to keep you know to shut your mouth and learn something in a sense, and um, I just that was kind of what I went by. And mm-hmm. uh, early advice from uh, other people there helped me help me uh, you know get there, help me get to the point where I felt that uh, I really was part of that company.
4: Sure. Did you get any heat when you first came in from any of the talent, like anybody who you know didn't know you and they're like, I'm not going to work with this guy, kind of thing? Did you ever get any heat from guys?
0: Uh, yeah, at a few yeah, a few occasions there was it was people. It wasn't that um, you know they didn't they'd say I'm not going to work with them because you know I that would be, be basically saying to Vince I'm not you know I'm not going to do what you're asking me to do. Okay. But there were there were people that uh, you know that could make it your life difficult who weren't real nice and pleasant and you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I, you know, and, and many of them have passed, so I don't really want to mention names, but uh, there were a few. And and uh, you just had to endure it um, because you couldn't really go up against, you know, and they had, there were a lot of them that, you know, they were part of little cliques. Right. And so the, the best thing you could do is just remain a professional. And that's that's what I did. I didn't go down and you know get into it with people i didn't make it personal right and it showed up and, and stood on my mark where i was supposed to be and knew my lines you were you
4: were just kind of saying hey i'm just here to do my job blah 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 kind of thing and, and a lot of that
0: was <clears throat> uh you know it was it was a lot was like schoolyard um where if they got a reaction out of you then they made it worse right yeah, and i they after a while they just kind of realized it's not working with this guy He's not you know it's not and He's not retaliating. He's not saying anything. He's just saying, "Okay, fine, whatever." You can't. You can't get to me. Sure. And uh, they'd move on to somebody else.
4: Got it. At uh, Dave Sikora thirty four on Twitter asks, and "You talked about Lord Alfred Hayes a little bit there. Did you guys ever go out drinking together?" <laughs> yeah.
0: You got many, any, many, many nights. You got me. Uh, you know, I've, I've mentioned before where I didn't go out with the boys. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't I, when I would be on, especially on the road. Um, it was, there was different g- cases when they came to Stanford and we were staying at, you know, the, they were staying at the hotels and I, I, there were guys that I got to know better and, you know, trusted more. Uh, but, but, uh, you know, Alfred was, we lived in the same town. I mean, we bo- we both lived in Stanford and, uh, yeah, we spent many a night down in, uh, Norwalk, mm. uh, downtown Norwalk. They had a little seaport area down there that had a, a great collection of bars, and, uh, Alfred was even, uh, he wasn't old then, but he was still, uh, you know, a smooth talker and, um,
8: mm-hmm.
0: it was kind of fun to watch him. And, and you know, the, of course the, the British gimmick would always garner attention and everybody knew who he was too. So, uh, we had many a night, uh, Alfred drinking his, uh, scotch and, and uh, ginger ale neat with no ice. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, uh, we had a lot of fun nights. It was, uh. I'll tell a quick one quick story. Uh, Alfred lived in a it was a, a an old warehouse building that converted into these uh, not townhomes, but they were really nice little apartments. You mm-hmm. know, and they, and they would go. You know, the ceilings in them were you know thirty feet high. It was an old brick building. And it had a big time clock. He liked it because it had a this big time clock in the front of it, mm-hmm. like Big Ben kind of thing. Yep. Anyway, uh, this this is back in the day when uh, you know. If if you got pulled over for DUI or something, they it would lock up your car and say come have somebody come get you, uh, you know. And so it, it, we knew we probably shouldn't have driven as often as we did. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I uh, we had gone out one night and and uh, I was supposed to pick him up for something the next morning. We were doing a shoot, and um, I didn't. I knew he was not in the greatest shape when he went home, but we you know did all the time, and it was you know not far away. Well, I drove up to his building, and his car was in front of the building, not in the parking area, mm-hmm. just where they had the front entrance door. and one wheel was on the curb. The other three <laughs> were off. and they could just sitting there. That's great. <laughs> I love it. and i so I go up to his room, and i and I you know his apartment, and I'm like, bang on the door, bang on the door and he comes and he's up already fine he's he's it's sharp as a tack having his tea whoever mm-hmm. and i said alfred did you know your cars in front of me said of course i do <laughs> i didn't feel like walking <laughs> <laughs> but great. i did he didn't miss a beat and i knew he didn't even remember i mean he, he just looked down then like oh my
4: <laughs> but that's enough oh that's great all right, uh, Grizzleda2019 on Instagram asks, what are your top five favorite songs of all time? And he says, regular music, not God. entrance themes. <clears throat> regular music? Yeah, not entrance themes or anything. Man, that's a tough one. boy. Are you a classic rock I, fan? Are you country well, no, fan? No, but I've liked all eras,
0: you know. Uh, you know uh, Bye Bye Miss American Pie. What's mm-hmm. that? Uh, that's one of Don my McClane. favorite songs. You know, Don McLean. Yep. Uh, boy. Um I love the the uh I love the Stones. I like I okay. love their music. Um god, from the Steel Wheels tour. I actually saw them live. Oh yeah? Uh, yeah. But god, I'm, I'm thinking of uh, song names. Jeez. Um I'm a big Frank Sinatra fan. Okay. Got You Under My Skin is one of my all-time favorites.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: I love Johnny Cash. Yeah. Um uh Burning Ring of Fire. Ring of Fire is one of my <laughs> favorites. Uh, golly, what else do I have on my Spotify
4: now? Um, hmm. So you got a pretty diverse kind of... Uh, uh, oh, yeah, I've liked...
0: Because, you know, I think I grew up in Arizona, and, uh, you know, uh, I was just exposed to so many different country western, and then, um, you know, when I went to college, uh, you know, we... It wasn't that it was that old back then, but the guys that I lived with, you know, were a little older than me, and they, their whole thing was, you know, to impress women, you need to be classy, mm-hmm. you know. Instead, of, so everybody was playing like heavy metal rock music, If they come to our party, we're playing Frank Sinatra, <laughs> Tony Bennett, you know, and they loved
4: it. I mean, we yeah.
0: would—it it was just uh, that's, fantastic.
4: That's, that's kind of like today, where you see all these metalheads who get into like Tony Bennett or Frank Sinatra or whatever, or you know, some of these softer accent like yeah dude i can totally get into this it's just yeah but i mean I'm,
0: I'm looking at my uh, spotify right now and you know i've got uh you know i i liked queen so radio gaga i love that you know being now that especially with i went and saw bohemian rhapsody mm-hmm. uh, love seeing that um i've got house of pain you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh Let's see. I've got uh, men at work because I recently, you know, somebody played that song. I'm like God, I love that album. You yep. know, with the uh, um, down under and uh, let's see. But then, you know, I've got Andrea Bocelli here. I've got uh, you know, mm-hmm. Champagne is one of his big songs. Uh, and then, of course, some of the the opera stuff he does. So, you know, really, I I, I like yeah. if you know, if if I like it, I like it. I don't care what the genre is. I'm not right. I'm not somebody that. Uh, you know, sticks to one thing. You're Warren cool. Zevon, you know, yeah. Werewolves of London. So
13: you're a cultured, there you have it. I, You're a I cultured
0: music snob. Nah, I, I like all, <laughs> all kinds. You know, if I like it, I like it. Right. I like, like uh, Eminem, his old stuff. You yeah. know?
4: it's like, wow. Yeah. So, I can you see go. you getting down with Eminem. No? <laughs> yeah, right. I'm the real Slim Shawnee. Hey, there we go. All yeah. right, so uh, Chris Winter on Twitter asks, this is a question I've been wanting to Know about ever since we started working together. How have you stayed so awesome for over thirty years? Oh, what, what does that mean? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but you hey, are you know awesome. I'm gonna
0: let you guys talk to my kids because they, I don't <laughs> think they're gonna think. But uh, you know, it's so funny because my daughters when they hear about you know the podcast and people, you know, being in touch with me and everything, and they kind of were all like, "Really?" You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. But uh, that's what they've always been. I mean, I have been on TV or something since they were babies. So that's that's they're 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 just used to it. But um and I think it's probably very true of any, you know, kids and their parents, they don't think they're cool. But my you know, like my son, who's older now, um I think he sees the relationship that uh some of his friends have with their fathers now and appreciates uh, the what the relationship that I have with the kids because I've always been that way. So mm-hmm. I don't know how I got into a discussion on parenting, but uh, uh, I'm a little kind of overwhelmed by that question because I I don't know what they mean by that.
4: Well, awesome and music. and let me let me kind of put my angle on it. You know, um, back when you were in the WWE, as it were, um, one of the yeah. things I always I always tell you is is I loved like the way that you came across on camera. You know, from from the way that you, you know, pitched an interview to the facial expressions you made while guys were talking all that, it, you know, you didn't take yourself too seriously. And you sure as heck don't do that nowadays either. Um, how, why has that stayed with you? I mean, like, why, you know, you see some people who, who as they get older, they kind of um, become well, more... I think... Become I think
0: more the best I can answer that is that it's just the way I grew up. Okay. You know, we didn't have a lot growing up. My mom raised five kids by herself. And so I've always appreciated everything. And when opportunity came along and you know, I mean, I grew up in a small town. I mean, maybe Tucson isn't that small now, but, right. uh, back then it was. And, um, like I said, we didn't have a lot and I really always wanted to do more. And I was going to go to college. I didn't, you know, a lot of my friends didn't. And, um, and I'm just feel blessed that I've had you know, these so many opportunities that uh, have come along and and you know uh, there's been bad there's been hard times there's been great times but I've appreciated the ride all the way mm-hmm. and um, you know like doing this this is uh, this is a bonus of, to, for me you know I, I uh, work, in mean, the other job that I do working in news is uh not as much fun uh, but but it's uh, it's a job and mm-hmm. it, I. I'm very blessed to have it, but this is fun, and I love the interaction with people. You know, I don't uh, don't get to do that as much with my, my uh, the other part of my life. So this is, uh, you know, and I'm just me, and that's the way I've never changed. You know, like, there were points, and I, there was probably a point when it affected me a little bit, but where, uh, like, working with the WWF, and people know how huge that was. Or, you know, that was international fame. I mean, we go to England, and people knew who you were. right. And all along the way, I just was saying, yeah, okay, so who are you? I mean, you're just like everybody else who gets to do this awesome job. So don't F it up, you know. And um, so I I never remember a point just being out of control thinking like, oh, you're something special. Mm -hmm. And I've tried to pass that down on to my kids because you're not. You're just a a person who's gotten a chance to do an, an opportunity and uh, whatever talent or gift that you have, you know that you've been able to to do it. So mm-hmm. that's it.
4: Okay. Uh, Tara, Todd Garlow, if I can talk today on Facebook, says, "Are there any similarities to working on the news and the WWE, and what prepared you for your move to the news industry?" Mm.
0: Well, I always tell people now, um, you know, at least the uh, <laughs> at least the wrestling business admits it's fake now.
13: No. So, <laughs> wow! Uh, I, I'm,
0: I'm a funny guy. I, uh, yeah, but but it is. It's very. It's very different. Um, you know. Uh, well I, I liked you. I, I do a morning show, so that is you get to do a show a little more personality with that and get to have a little more fun. Mm-hmm. But it's very structured because you know you're only on the air for so long. you have to move things along. you don't really have a chance to chat and do stuff like that and And when you do the the nightly news, those that that's even it's that's even tougher yeah. because you know that really is tight times. So Most it's like a half an hour and And if you put weather and sports in there too, you know, the half hour is about 10 minutes of news. That's it. Mm-hmm. So that's all you're on for. Mm-hmm. And and uh, the difference also is that, you know, uh, when you're doing professional wrestling or even when I did sports, yeah, okay, so you get something, a fact wrong or something like that. Okay, fine, you made a mistake. It doesn't harm anybody's life. Well, in news, you know, you've got to be careful because you're, you're talking about people's reputation. So you've got to make sure that, the news you put out there is right, and uh, we don't always get it right. And that's mm-hmm. that's n- not saying that it's a fault of you know professionals trying to do the right job, but or they just get bad information and they get sources to back it up, and then maybe it's wrong. Well, that affects people's lives, as we as we see every day. Mm-hmm. So that's something that you you know that I take very seriously. I always want to make sure that what we do and is uh, you know we get it as as factually right. And if we don't do it, then we tell people what we did wrong yeah so it's it's very different um uh that's why i you know doing the the when i working with the wwf and everything was fun it was just you know this we're we're fantasy land it was right. uh these kids that never have to grow up like yeah. they say we're you know I, I, you talk to these wrestlers and they said look we're kids who we get to still play every day in costumes you know <laughs> and, and tell stories
4: <laughs> how fun is that yeah and you could just kind of go loose and you don't have to worry about, like you were saying, be being factual, so to speak. Or yeah. or even or having that come back at you, you know, if you yeah. say something wrong. Um, yeah, no, I completely get it because I, you know, not to go on my own story or anything, but I worked in a newsroom and I started out as a producer for a political opinion show. And there mm-hmm. you could say virtually anything you wanted, you know. Um, That's opinion. Exactly. Uh, and, but then, and, and that was nice because I could just, you know, we could write opinions and we could, you know, kind of expand and kind of, you know, speak our minds or whatever. But then I got moved to regular news and it was all just like facts and, and stories and this happened, this happened here, this happened there, blah, blah, blah. And it was funny because I was talking to my former host at the time. Uh, and he asked me, he's like, that sounds so boring. And I'm like, yep, it is yeah you know because because like all I was doing was copying uh scripts and putting video in or whatever you know it, it was, but the but you know the former gig I was scheduling interviews and we were recording pieces and all that, so no, I completely get it, I understand, yeah it's um, a different
0: business, but uh, yeah. but it's a you know
4: it's what what I do now, so. yeah uh let's see here. A. McGuire Art on Instagram asks, uh, can you do an interview with Gary Stridham about the WW, WBF? I've always wanted to do that impression, by the way. Yeah, you uh, know, we I, I don't know why we dropped
0: the ball on that, because we did have a connection to him. And I think he said he would like to come on. Really? So. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a. I'm glad that they remind us. We're going to, have to put that on the list for 2019 because man, I would love to have Gary on. Yeah. I think it, I'm pretty sure it was Gary who was who who uh, we we'd gotten in touch with, and he said that he would come on. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Thanks. Uh, let's yeah, hear that because I would love to have him on because uh, you know we did a whole episode on uh, on that uh, you know WWBF. Yeah. Uh, I know it was it, not many people were listen to it as much. I mean, it wasn't a real popular episode, but I was adamant about it, you know, because I just thought it's such a great story to tell. And I really wanted to do that episode. And I thought it was a a good one. Mm -hmm. Um, If you ever have a chance, folks, go back and listen to it, um, because we went and got a lot of, uh, you know, background on it and numbers, and I really enjoyed doing that. But I would love to do an episode where we bring one of those guys on, because there was a lot happening behind the scenes with that. And the heat that they got with the boys and what they endured was was pretty interesting. And it it's a real uh, I think it'd be a great perspective to hear their side of it, because I think the way most people look at them is that they were these, you know, candy ass uh, bodybuilders who got paid a ton of money and, uh, you know, basically. Walked away with it, and and uh, when it all fell apart, and that there may be a lot of truth to that, but I'd love to hear their perspective on it because they had to go to these arenas, mm-hmm. you know, do these pose downs and stuff in the ring, and then go into the back in the locker room. And I think they kept them all separate because I think they would have, you know, wouldn't it would have been uglier than it was. But right. um, there's some great stories to tell with that. So that's a that's an awesome question and, and a great reminder to us. So let's mark that down, Casey, because okay. I want to follow up on that.
4: Do you remember any specific situations that may have happened between stridom or the WBF guys and the WWF wrestlers? Yeah, there was heat. And I'm I, I trying to remember
0: who the bodybuilder was, but I remember that it was at one of the events and, um, you know, uh, the guy went there to do some pose down or something. You know, they would get in the ring. It was all to promote the – in between matches, they'd send these guys out. Mm-hmm. And uh, the guy was supposed to have, you know, broiled chicken and his chicken wasn't there, and he was raising a stink over something and uh, one of the boys slapped him, I think and told wow. him what the f yeah but uh yeah they they was uh they wasn't they didn't uh, were not well received as you might imagine here are these guys and this is when they weren't getting any guaranteed money
8: mm-hmm.
0: and uh these guys are getting guaranteed money to show up and just stand there and flex their muscles. Mm-hmm. can you imagine if you're a yeah. guy that's working on the you know waiting for the house gate and hoping you get a few bucks so you can uh you know take care of your family and these guys walk in.
4: Yeah. No. Not uh didn't go over well. I wonder if that's how it was uh when the XFL started too. I wonder like I know there wasn't the kind of physical side to it because you know it's completely different football and wrestling or whatever, but I wonder if Yeah, they- but
0: they never mixed. I mean that was, that those two never crossed paths. That that those uh, operations. And uh that was uh, that was really part of the plan, and I think that part of the downfall of it when it was, is the fact that they started to, um, not bring the boys or anything into it, but they started making it like a wrestling promotion, mm-hmm. and uh, that just didn't work with that with that viewing uh, audience. That just was not, you know, going to work. Right. So we'll see what happens with the new the new version.
4: Oh yeah, it's coming out next year technically. Um... <laughs> That should be interesting. I like the XFL. It was pretty interesting. Yeah, you know what else is an
0: interesting little tidbit here is that they actually sent me a plane ticket to go back there and audition to do play-by-play. Really? For football. Yeah. And uh, Craig uh, Minervini mm-hmm. actually did do a bunch of games and became one of their their uh, best teams uh, with the XFL. So he may you, you may see him back because he's still doing uh, you know that he works for a sports network down in Florida. Mm-hmm. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Craig wasn't back. I mean, I know they liked they liked him. So whatever happened to your shot
4: at the XFL?
0: I'd, I I said I had never done football in my life, mm-hmm. and uh, I wasn't going to go and make a complete idiot of myself. I just said I don't I don't do that. I'm I'm not going to wait. But I said I would love to be. I could do. I'd love to be a sideline reporter. And I never heard
4: anything back from it.
0: Yeah. But. Uh,
4: what's what's the difference like between you going from news to the WWE uh, and going from like wrestling to football or whatever, you know? Like, well,
0: it's 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 completely different. You got to okay. know the game. You okay. know, you really got to know the game of football. Okay. And uh, I don't. I was never, you know, I mean, I I love football, but I mean, to sit there and call it, you really got to be an expert. Mm-hmm. And I just hadn't done it. I mean, and Chad I hadn't even done play by play for a long time. So, yeah.
4: (laughs) All right. Uh, let's see here at Rick Bedard on Twitter says, was that really your sister in the audience on primetime wrestling? Yeah. My sister, Mary
0: Pat, She's my oldest sister, she was, uh, came back to visit and that's when we were doing the, the, uh, live audiences and they'd bring in about, I don't know, 50 people or something in the the live audience. And, uh, so say, Hey, you want to be in the audience? And she loved it. She, uh, and, and what was great about it, she loved Bret Hart. She loved Bret Hart. And he was a guest on the show. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> she really, really enjoyed that. But I just saw something that somebody posted up that where Steph was, Stephanie was in the audience. And this is before she had started doing anything. She might have even been in high school then. Right. But they showed a, a, a shot of some video of her in the audience. And we, they come out when Vince was hosting it one night. Hmm. In his Zubas <laughs>
4: yeah, I remember that That's so great oh, Zubas Alright uh, At Rebel Blockard On Instagram Says I want to see A so- Sean Mooney Action figure From Mattel In 2019 Do we have any Updates on that
0: So do I, I have, uh, Zach Ryder Was supposed to Get it uh, You know Use his his Great <coughs> influence On that uh, To uh, have one Made for me But uh, so far Nothing And you know That's an outrage That is an outrage It because, really is and, sh- and you know At this point Yeah well, it would, be, it would be a rare item, right? Because <laughs> there's never been one. Exactly. So I think that there's even more reason for a Sean Mooney action figure in 2019. So uh, um, I hope Zach uh, comes through for me on that because I'd love to not only have my own uh, action figure, but then I would love to uh, have Zach talk about it on his yeah. um, wrestling figure podcast, Pro Wrestling Figures podcast, so... That would be awesome.
4: You'll have to keep us updated on Patreon if they ever get it. But that is one of my great regrets in life uh,
0: that I had nothing to do with. I mean – But I I would have loved to – you know, Gene's got probably, what, eight of them? Deservedly so. Yeah. But come on. Give Mooney one. I know, right? Yeah. All right. right. (laughs) Start that that petition. Get it
4: uh, to Mattel. All right. So (laughs) – at Chris Morrell on Twitter says, what's the hardest you have laughed or broke up laughing while doing any segments on the
0: WWF-E? does work? Oh, I remember one very vividly. Um, there, was, there was a bit that we did where Sensational Sherry, and I, was, I think it was during uh, when I was hosting primetime, but they, they shot this bit where Sensational Sherry comes on and she had the belt, and somebody takes the belt. It's missing. And she goes on a rampage to try and find it. And um, w- we had uh, some studio guys that worked, you know, that actually were legit. They did, you know, the camera work and stuff like that in the studio. They were, uh, they worked there. They were at the studios. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know if I should say his name. Well, oh, he could, hey, Russ, Russ Bacon is what it was his name. Okay. He, used to, he worked there in the studio. And um, so anyway, she is going around and she's searching everybody. And she had uh, like a metal detector wand, and she's going around and she's you know turn around you know and she's you know swiping their bodies and everything. And she goes over to, goes to Russ, <laughs> and mm-hmm. she is uh, takes this thing and and is running it like between his legs, and she jams that thing up right between right in the uh, the sweet spot. Mm-hmm. And I swear to God, we're, I'm standing there, and his eyes crossed, <laughs> it, and. He literally fell over, yeah. <laughs> and we're shooting this. This is part of the segment, right? And uh, and I was dying. I was I you know it was one of those things, it was the one of the funniest things I ever seen, and I wanted to burst out laughing. And I'm like, have my mouth, I'm, I'm, my hands are over my mouth, and I'm trying to get out of the studio. So I because I'm I'm going to break the whole scene, mm-hmm. and uh, okay. managed. I can't get out, but I managed to keep it quiet. And finally, they, they uh, you know cut and they got it and the entire room just burst into laughter and Mm -hmm. we just I mean you know that laughter where you're laughing so so hard there's tears coming coming. and poor Russ but it was one of the funniest things I've ever seen that was just that that one that really really stands out there were many of them but that was (laughs) I I I would love to have somebody find that clip somewhere maybe it's on the network somewhere but
4: we'll have to get somebody to find that All right, Ruben Rios, on, and then any yeah. any
0: moment any I was any moment I was hanging with Bobby.
4: Bobby was yeah. just you know classic. <laughs> you couldn't <so>. stay. <laughs> you couldn't stay serious with him. No. no. Ruben Rios on Facebook has two questions, and I guess I'll allow it. Number one, are you laughing, Sean? <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> and number two, not anywhere near said justice. And number two, any good earthquake or John Tenta stories? Waiting for you or Bruce to come up with a whole show about him. Oh boy. It's actually a good idea. Yeah, you know, yeah, and, and and John was really a nice guy
0: uh, when uh, he was teamed up, especially with uh, with Fred Ottman, um, mm-hmm. tugboat. And um, but uh, I, I remember, and this happened on more than one occasion, where um, if if the jobbers that they they put in there didn't, uh, you know, show the right proper respect. Mm-hmm. Um, when he did the earthquake, uh, he might really come down with his full weight. And I, there was, was one night in an arena where, um, God, I can't remember what happened, but uh, he came down on this guy and, oh, my God, I thought he cried, there wasn't going to be a rib left. And I think he did break a few of the guy's ribs. Okay. But... Uh, Yeah, but I mean, but other than that, I mean, if if you didn't cross that guy, if you were, you know, uh, and he was one of the nicest people I ever met. Mm -hmm. um, But, um, you know, there was, uh, as they call them, receipts. But, um, yeah. And I heard another story recently about Yokozuna, who did the same thing to a guy who had, um, you know, been disrespectful to Mr. Fuji. Mm -hmm. And I always thought, like, how stupid do you got to (laughs) be to to do something, really? I mean, there's, there's, like... First of all, Mr. Fuji was a really nasty guy. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, to get some one of his people that, that liked him, uh, Matt Upset, who weighed 400 and something pounds, uh, mm. not a good idea. Yeah. Not a good idea. Uh, but at- I love John. John was really a great guy. Really, uh, a really nice person.
4: He was, a, he was a badass big man, too. Yeah. But you boy, know.
0: you used to watch him. Even when he did that, those moves, you know, and people. Oh,
4: God. Yeah. Uh, at Born with ESP on Twitter says when you get inducted to the WWE Hall of Fame who would you pick to induct you Notice he said when not if Oh <laughs> <laughs> It's wow. going to happen Mooney Yeah posthumously when I'm uh,
0: <laughs> dead and gone I got nobody left What do we got There's some Wait wait there's a paper here down at the bottom
4: of the barrel Oh <laughs> Sean Mooney really He worked uh, for us what No but but let's say Let's say in like 30 years they decided to induct you in the Hall of Fame. Who would you want to induct you? Legit.
0: Well, I would. I th- I would love to have Gene. Yeah. I think I'd ask Gene Okerlund if if it would and if it ever happened. But uh, I, I am not that that uh, that phone call is. Uh, I, you know, I don't think that I will hear that. But uh, if it ever did, I would love have to love to have Gene do it.
4: Uh, at X Lonely X on Twitter it says, "What's fun who is the funniest guy to be around, wrestler or non-wrestler, during your tenure with the WWE?"
0: Wow, there's a lot of them. Um, but you know, it's one of the reasons that I asked uh, and, and and pursued uh, Hacksaw to be uh, a co-host with me when we first kicked this all off was because I remember him being just so damn funny mm-hmm. and uh, and and witty and uh, you know. So, Hacksaw is up there, you know, and he does a he does a stand up act. He's legitimately funny, and right. the expressions that he has. Um, some of the other guys, I mean, Owen Hart was really funny.
8: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, loved the 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 ribs that he used to pull were just you know good natured. They were funny, you know. They weren't uh, cruel or or they, don't, they weren't meant to humiliate people. They were they were meant to to uh, make people laugh. Mm-hmm. But uh, hacksaw, I think ab- among all of them, he was just kind of nonstop. Um, the nasty boys, Brian Knobs, was was very funny all the time. But you know that's that's too much sometimes. <laughs> like, yeah. But it, but remember, hacksaw used to say, "I'll trade you, I'll tra- I'll trade you a Knobs and, and, and a and a nasty or in a uh, um." Sags. Uh, yeah, a, a knobs and a sags for a hawk. I guess you know a hawk was so tough to be around, but yeah. but you think that like how bad did it have to be where you're willing to <laughs> You know, that's great. Uh, knobs and sags. And and even when I saw the two of them there at WrestleCade, and and um <clears throat> you know, Brian and his story is just like nonstop, 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 nonstop. He just you know mm-hmm. and then Jerry is kind of the other balance with him too, but um yeah, I don't know if we'll ever get sags on. He was like, Oh yeah, sure, sure and I, and and I had like three text messages with him since. And uh, we're not any closer to getting him on, folks. So I'll just yep. leave it at that. <laughs>
4: but, I know that you talked to Brian Knobs last year. Uh, yeah.
0: uh, you know what? And I, <clears throat> and I have an idea for this year because I, I, I had such a f- good time with him mm-hmm. on the phone, you know, telling his Willie Nelson stories and everything. I'm just going to get him on and just say, just tell me yep. s- stories out of the ring of what you guys did. Yeah. And I think that that would be a tremendous podcast
4: if you got them both on and just you just sat back and I said – I don't know if we'll get them both because Jerry's stories. tough, yeah.
0: But but Brian would just you know he's he's got a thousand different stories of the uh, how those guys lived through it all is, is the amazing part mm-hmm. because there are people that really wanted legitimately wanted them dead. Yeah, <laughs> they just yeah. Uh, you know we in that story that uh, you know with Ken Shamrock and and uh, you know the whole I mean just amazing stories that those guys and, and the fact that they are still around is is pretty incredible
4: yeah uh let's see here. at Juan Carlos Carlos Chichi on Instagram says during your time in the WWF what wrestler or wrestlers got the biggest pop and what when and where was that moment
0: well um <clears throat> well I think that to the, the one that really is vivid because of course we can talk about Hulk Hogan all day right. I, you know I remember it being in the first arena when when I went up uh, for one of the shows I think it was in Bridgeport and and uh, when Hulk came out and just that that audience that that uh, noise of that eruption of the crowd mm-hmm. it was it I could feel it physically It wasn't just from what I heard in my ears it was you know went right through my chest it was so loud right and I just never forgot that. But I think at Wembley Stadium, that SummerSlam uh, match in '92 with um, Bret Hart and and uh, Davy Boy mm-hmm. was pretty amazing, um, just because of the size of that crowd, and then also, um, you know, Davy Boy was home in that uh, in that event, and that was that was pretty amazing. That stands out, and I think that probably stands out to me because it was such an emotional match too, there was so much going on with Davey boy at the time. And then his, uh, you know, uh, and, and Diana Hart was there and, and all that was happening. And then Brett, and it was just an incredible match. So that one was just, I think that stands out the most. Okay. There's so many.
4: Yeah. Travis Peters on Facebook asks, what did you, what did you think of ECW? Extreme championship. Um, yeah. Uh,
0: I you know and I've done a lot of reading since too because I didn't know a lot about the ECW when I was working and and uh, and had and and you know even after I'd left but mm-hmm. uh, it, you know it it was very innovative in, in in the fact that they were you know this true independent uh, doing things differently than the way other people were doing them and allowing these guys to really develop. Their gimmicks and and you know and and doing the stuff that they did with hardcore stuff and and uh, so I'm really I'm kind of enamored uh, with what they, they were able to accomplish with what they had mm-hmm. and the talent that was there so yeah I, I think that um, that I think in some ways it it reminds me of what's happening now with what Cody and uh, the young Bucks uh, and Marty uh Skrull and, and um and Nick Aldis and the rest of them are doing. I, that it reminds me very much of that. And I, it's really great to see, but to think about what that, that was happening then mm-hmm. uh is pretty amazing.
4: Yeah. Uh who's your favorite ECW superstar? Did you have one? Oh mm. or did you just kinda
0: Well I think that uh, there's a you know a lot of them that that uh I think Raven is some, I, especially after talking with him too, but also seeing that um, he got his chance there, his shot there, mm-hmm. and um, and he credits uh, Cornette for 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 providing that chance for him. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that he stands out to me, and especially since I've uh, you know did have. A relationship here that uh, you know we kind of—I shouldn't even say that a friend. You know the—I shouldn't even kind of cut that out. Um, yep. No, but that he credits uh, Jim Cornette for giving him that opportunity, and he's one of the classic examples of where he, if he had gone to maybe a different organization or had worked for a different promoter who didn't give him that freedom and that opportunity and and like the ideas that he was coming up with because they were so different. He may not have had a career at all. Mm -hmm. So I think that that organization gave a lot of people those chances.
4: All right. We got time for one more question here, Sean. Uh, Charles Reeder on Facebook asks, did any wrestlers ever actually scare you, like really scare you? And I know we talk about Sid on the podcast, but back in the day Mm -hmm. when you were going to do an interview with somebody or, you know, um, did anybody ever legitimately like scare you? Um, I think that
0: uh, just for the overall, you know, gimmick of it, I thought that The Undertaker and then Paul Bearer, who could be – was just really, really creepy.
4: Mm-hmm. And
0: I know that he was a, a you know
4: – Mortician? A,
0: a good guy. Yeah, and oh. I know. But he was just – he was kind of, I, I mean, scary in the sense of like that. I think as far as like the gimmick goes, that I think that really legitimately – you know, it's not that I'm a, I was afraid of voodoo or something like that. But that whole Papa Shango mm-hmm. gimmick was kind of was scary. Yeah. You know, and I, I don't know what it was. Yeah, I mean, I let's say I'm, a, oh, you know, but I thought that uh, it did it. It was and, and, and the reaction to people in the crowd was just amazing. And the, and the kids, oh, my God, they were just scared, scared to death of that guy. But uh just that the whole makeup and the whole that thing was, was a pretty good gimmick. Yeah.
4: Do you but, ever uh, do you ever show your kids Papa Shango videos of him? Oh yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know my son was uh, into it uh, you know, but not okay. when, um, you know since then but yeah, he's seen that stuff and he thinks yeah, you know, I was like that was that people were scared of that, you know. Like right. then, you know, it was it was pretty it was uh, it was very effective. Yeah, when they did that, and then with the music and the lights and everything, it was smoke uh, and mark. and you know and who didn't when the Undertaker when all the lights went out and the bomb you know
4: like well, that was. Scary stuff, man. That still gives me goosebumps <laughs> when I see his entrance sometimes.
11: Yeah. Well,
4: we're going to have to wrap this up for now on the podcast, at least. But we got tons and tons more questions here from you guys. You can hit them up. on. You can listen to it on our Patreon page, right? Patreon.com. Right, only, right? The rest but of it, you've got to become a member exactly. of Patreon. Exactly. You're going to have to pay to play, yeah. baby. It's at Patreon.com slash primetime. What is it? Primetime Primetime Mooney. Primetime Mooney. Prime, uh,
0: Patreon.com slash Primetime Mooney.
4: Go there now. It's live for as little as seven bucks a month. I signed up for that. I can't wait to get my autograph picture. But we got tons more uh, questions for you, Mr. Mooney, all on our Patreon page.
0: Okay. So uh, should we go over once again what everybody gets on Patreon? Uh, let's see. If you become a prime Timer. Uh, you're going to get a phone call from me. Uh, also, you're going to get an autographed uh, Sean Mooney eight by ten, the vintage photo. Uh, social media shout out, a birthday shout out, uh, and of course, which is really awesome, you're going to get uh, all PTSM episodes early and ad free. That's that's awesome. You're going to get those early before anyone else does. Uh, we'll have the uh, live Q and A sessions, which we have on Crowdcast. You get to come on there and ask all the questions you want and interact. And, of course, bonus shows. And then there's the next level, the Moonies. Uh, You're going to get all what I just mentioned, the phone call, the autographed picture, the social media shout-out, the birthday shout-out. Get all of the episodes early and ad-free. The live Q&A sessions and the bonus shows. But uh, after 12 months, as a Mooney, you're going to get a T-shirt, a free T-shirt of your choice from the Primetime with Sean Mooney collection. And then we're going to have a monthly live watch-alongs that, uh, you know, of course, people can come on with the uh, watch-alongs, but you uh, don't have to pay. You get to uh, come right on. And also, uh, same thing for our live watch-along events that we're going to have with special guests. Uh, that's when we bring on a superstar. We talk about a match or an event that they were involved in. And uh, you're going to get a reserved spot to come on uh, along with me and our special guest on, on the screen because we can do that with uh, Crowdcast. So uh, you can do that. And uh, to do all of that, to become a, a prime timer or a Mooney, uh, you just go to patreon.com slash primetime Mooney. That's patreon.com slash primetime Mooney. All right. So, and, and you know, we're going to be putting up all kinds of bonus material. It's going to be a lot of fun. I cannot wait. And I could not be more excited about 2019. And uh, I'm so glad that you're going to be a part of it all. Uh, your first assignment for 2019, go to patreon.com slash mooney and become a member today. Before we go, though, I want to thank uh, our great sponsor, bluechew.com. And now could not be a better time to get your first order. Come on, guys, because uh, you listen to this podcast, we have a special deal just for you. Visit bluechew.com right now, and you're going to get your first shipment absolutely free when you use our special promo code PrimeTime. And then all you have to do is just pay $5 in shipping. Again, that's bluechew.com, promo code PRIMETIME, to try it for free. So come on, guys. Man up. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice. That's bluechew.com. All right. What an episode. Casey, thank you so much for uh, coming on. And I hope uh, folks enjoyed that Q&A session. I know. But aren't you excited about 2019? You guys, uh, you know, Evan Polisher is also... Uh, a part of this team and uh when we we had a, a a big meeting because we say you know it's time to go to the next level mm-hmm. and you guys have been very influential in that but uh are you excited about the new year we've got all kinds of stuff god happening.
4: i can't wait uh you know all the new content that we're we're planning the new the interviews that we are hoping to get this year and all the extra stuff you're going to be doing man it's just you know that that 799 or 1999 i believe it is tears those are gonna pay for itself like that, you know. With all the content, like, you know, I can't, I can't wait till you know you go to a convention or something like that and and give us an exclusive video or something, things yeah. like that,
0: you well, know. I'm gonna be posting stuff up too uh, of uh, you know other things that are happening as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, just had an idea today. We're gonna you know we'll do, I want to do some top five discussions where I'm gonna name my top five whatevers and then you guys come on and debate me and give me yours. So. Uh, just all kinds of fun stuff we're going to have with it. And this uh, this new platform with uh, Patreon is, is just going to be a blast. Uh, it took you guys, I, I started with kicking and screaming, and now I can't wait to get to it. So um, glad to have you all on board. Glad to have you with us. Uh, prime time with Sean Mooney, and we've got another great episode coming up next week. Our next episode here in 2019. It's going to be a great one. Have a great week, everybody. I'm Sean Mooney, and I am out.